From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City. From planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space. A podcast with no equal. Engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Twitch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The Switch is on Battle Line Podcast. And here's the thing, man. So Chris Peranto is back, obviously. I mean, Scotto. Before I'm waving, uh, I'm waving, but you can't see me. But I'm yeah, waving like you can. We will do video at some point. I know that we will. Probably by the end of the year, we'll have video going, and it's going to look awesome. Um. So the first thing I wanted to say, really, is prior to Wednesday, I was really excited to talk about Gary Brugman being pardoned. Talk about the Disney World trip. Trip. Talk. Uh, get into your emails, and that was the plan. And it kind of goes to, as much as I don't want to talk about all the stuff going on uh, politically in the U.S., you know, the, the stability of the country right now, it's all, it's like you kind of have to well, be, it would be, to. it'd be disingenuous not to, yeah. because I, I wouldn't have spoken about this, you know, but now there is a United States Air Force veteran dead, there's a police officer dead, and you really have to ask yourself why. What what was the point of this and what was accomplished? And and I mean, I, when I watched what happened on the news, I can just tell you from my own perspective, I was completely disgusted. And, uh, you know, one of the trainers at my gym, when I walked in, he was like, you know, he doesn't listen to the show or anything, but he knows what I do. And he goes, oh, I'm sure you have a lot of stuff to talk about on the podcast. And in my mind, it's like, no, this is really why I walked away from talk radio, you know, political talk radio with along with other reasons. Like, I hate talking about this stuff ad nauseum. And I kind of hate the fact that this one man has hijacked the conversation. And when I say that, I mean every conversation. You know, we're not even really a show that gets into this stuff. And it's like, we have to get back into this again. And I'd really rather not. But this is what's going on in the country. I, I can, I mean, I can tell you, I'm, in my opinion, I posted on Instagram. That was, yeah, what you saw. And, 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 it, and it, 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 you know, it's, it, it kind of sucks too with that because when you, you have those, public figure, whatever the hell you want to call it. It's almost like, okay, I don't even want to mention anything because both sides are all screwed up. And, and to say that, to say that this, this riot was, was worse than the other. No, they're both were shitty. The, the Antifa BLM, the, the, the riots there, which went on for months compared to this one. No, people died. That's what guys, I told you, that's what happens. <laughs> You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. That's what we say in the military. And that's what happens. And to say that one's worse than the other and one is more responsible or one side. No, you both are damn responsible. And I, I don't blame the people, though. I don't blame the people for being angry on both sides. Yes, you, you, well, you, you got to hold the politicians on both sides responsible and the mainstream media responsible for this because that's what inflames and that's what they do overseas. That's what we've seen over. I, I've been in there. That's what those, the, the news orders and the politicians do. They stir it up and this is what happens. 
Well, if, if I could just jump in the one parallel, but since you're mentioning it though, is, and I've always been consistent on this guys, you can listen back to any show and you'll see that I'm saying the exact same thing. Um, the protests that happened in on Wednesday, there were people like Gary Brugman and Sarah Carter there that were just at a protest. Now, personally, this is just my perspective. I think this was a completely pointless thing to attend because we knew the outcome wasn't going to change over this. This was really a state's rights issue. And uh, Dan Crenshaw actually spoke about it on Fox News. Like, constitutionally, we knew nothing was going to happen. And this was hyped up by the president. It was hyped up by members of Congress. It was hyped up by media. And people thought they were going to change the outcome of the election somehow. And that is not what was going to happen. But back to what I was saying, the people like Gary that were there, Sarah Carter that were there, they were just there to voice their opinion. And it was really a few dozen people that went inside to the Capitol and started the chaos. Much like the Black Lives Matter protests, it's the exact same thing I said over the summer. Mostly peaceful, but there were some Antifa people in there who got violent. And then, you know, it's painted as this entire movement is violent. And that's 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 why it's either the hypocrisy you see on both sides of the media from one saying the other, the other one's wrong. It, you guys are doing the same thing. It's the same shit, same thing. Uh, you have small groups of people that just go off the reservation and they do stupid shit. And that's what happened. Same happened to the, happened to the Antifa people in Wisconsin with, the, what's his name, Kyle? The, the little yeah. Kid. Same thing. Hey, guys died. Guess what? You're in a protest and you're getting inflammatory and it's growing and the anger and the emotion and the passion is growing. Something bad is going to come out of that. Same thing that happened in D.C. It, it, and it's the only way to step up, step away from it and to have it not happen is just to do just that. Step the hell away from it. Don't We don't need to be taking sides anymore. Neither side is right. Neither politician on either side is right. Come back. Be Americans again. We can have differing opinions. He and I have differing opinions on oh, things. Oh, yeah. And you, don't, and you don't see me knocking down his door trying to kick his ass. No, and he doesn't <laughs> do it to me either. But you can have differing opinions. But we also have to turn off the messiahs that we've put on these pol- on these totem poles. We've got to turn off the politicians, whether it be the Obamas, the Trumps, the Pelosi's, the, those people and, are doing and nothing. I, and I say messiah is a good word because of the fact that, and by the way, if anybody thinks I'm painting all Trump supporters this way, I am not. I'm no. painting people who did this. When you take the American flag off the Capitol, which was done, and you throw the American flag to the ground to put up a Trump flag, that's that, fucked up. That is the, guys, that's the same thing as, them taking down Ansar Sharia, taking our flag down at the U.S. consulate and throwing it in the pool and t- ripping the shit up. You're, the American flag stays up. The red, white, and blue stays up. It doesn't have a blue streak in it. It doesn't have a red streak. It doesn't have a – and I do support and I do believe there are people on the first responders that do great things. There are some also some shitty ones out there too, and I know a lot of – I know so a lot of them. I'm not going to say there's a lot of them, but I do know some of them as well. There are shitty ones out there that are completely unethical as well. But the red, white, and blue needs to stay red, white, and blue, and it needs to stay up there. Now, nothing else needs to represent our country except the stars and stripes, and it needs to be not black and green. doesn't need to be the public enema flag either, which I see those sometimes here in North Oman. It kind of makes me cringe, but it makes me cringe just as much as one. And I, I, law enforcement, you guys know, and even I even train a lot of you guys, even work with some of you guys down the range. I don't think you'd have a blue streak in it either. The flag needs to stay what it is. It's the red, white, and blue, and it's the flag of America, and that's the only color it ever needs to be. And when we get back to thinking that way, then I think we'll get back to being a country again that isn't two different sides. 
it's just people that have different views on things and their politics may be a little different, but it doesn't mean we need to go in there and completely tear things up because all we're doing is hurting ourselves. We're not damaging the politicians at all. All we're doing is making them more powerful or giving them more notoriety or giving them more money due to whatever sponsorships or people they were, they represent uh, putting more money in their pockets from donors that think they need to be right. That's all we're doing. In the meantime, where they're getting stronger, we as a population, as a country are getting weaker. We need to stop that. And, and I, 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 there, maybe we'll get into questions today. So maybe I think, oh, wait, well, I, I, I think there was a lady, I said, ask this question. We have asked on Instagram. We've, we've <laughs> got like 20 something questions. So I will say not everybody is going to get a prize. So <laughs> but, but, no um, participation trophies required. That's the <laughs> same with, with Ian. There, I agree. Uh, that's why I, that's why I am independent. I'm, I'm not on either side guys. And I, if we want to say, what am I probably constitute? I, I believe in the, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, we've I, said this on the show. The reason I am a Republican and I actually, uh, maybe we differ on this because I agree with everything you've said, but um, maybe on this we differ. I do think people should register with one party or another if they're in a state with closed primaries, just because if you're not with a, you know, this is just the system we have. We we talked about that on a show before. Yeah. And if you're not with a party, then you are, you have lost your voice. And then when the party picks a candidate you don't like, you, you know, you didn't participate. Yeah. You know, I, I think my serving has led me down that path where I, okay. I, 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 I damn, I participated a hell of a lot, took more than I gave a lot and have been shit on by both sides. And and so it, it becomes a personal issue with me. Now, do, what views do I lean towards? You probably, yeah, center right. I do. Oh, yeah, for, yeah, for sure. But but am I going to stand with a party now and some a party where people in that particular party use use? And I let, hey, I'm not I'm I'm not a kid. I, I saw it happening, but used me and my story to help catapult them into into positions no i i'm not going to do it yet no i'm not going to represent your party when really you took what happened to us and you used it you used it to 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 get into office and and then you kind of threw us to the side um and that is a personal issue with me that's why you know screw it no i'm not i'm not gonna right or left because i didn't when i was downrange either I didn't take a side there. I, I, I served because I wanted to serve my country, not serve Republicans or Democrats. I wanted just to serve my country. And I, it's that same mindset again. But Ian being said, that's a great point that Ian has. Um, yeah, we do differ on that, but that doesn't mean he's wrong. That doesn't mean I'm wrong. It's just we have a differing opinion. But if we come down to it when we said, hey, what, what kind of views or, or theology, and it's not even theology, ideologies do you have with America and how it should be run? I would say, yeah, it's probably more center right because, yeah. because I'm a constitution. I believe it's not hard to run a country. We have everything set for us. We have the templates. We have the constitution. We have the, and we have the Bible. That's, you got that. There you go. Bam, right there. Follow it. But we want to keep changing things because it, our our constituency won't vote for us unless we do change it and change to change things, or we need to have a cause of the month and the constitution has to be changed. At least this amendment does, because that's the cause we're going to go after right now. So, but I, I, you know, Ian, Ian brings up a good point. If you want your voice, yeah, I, I, if you don't primary, probably, probably should. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's the only reason yeah. I am with a party. It's not, it's not because I feel that this party is the good party and this party is, it's just so that I have a voice so that, you know, until the system changes, 
it's almost like that uh, Megadeth yeah. song. If there's a new way, I'll be the <laughs> yeah. first one. But this is what we have. So I don't believe for a while there's going to be a third party that rises to power. So you kind of have to choose one the way it is. That's just the way it's been for my whole life and your whole life. And um, I and that way we could get a candidate in there that the people uh, like. Yeah. If, if people get out there and vote in primaries. Brett, you know what, though, bro? Damn, this is the greatest time, if any, for a third party to come to power. Third party to, that's just say, I hate saying coming to power. That is not what I want to say. Scratch that. But to come in the, come in the light, the, 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 the Ron Pauls, the Rand Paul. I, actually, I, I, I met Rand Paul. I've spoken with him, uh, not from Benghazi, yes, but I actually went to the Kentucky Derby and, and I spoke at the Kentucky Derby years ago. Oh, and, wow. That's, that's got to be awesome. It was cool. And it was really cool. And it was, again, another, it, it was, you know, it was a little bit, it was, it's an event, definitely an event with the dresses and the, and the, the what you <laughs> wear and the pink and all that. I, I it, yeah, it was the hats. The, it was cool, but I did meet him and, you know, and, you know, and I honestly went, I wasn't big into politics then when his father was, when, when Ron Paul was running for, but I love Ron Paul. Yeah, that, that is, that is, that's, that to me, that's the constitutionalist. That's, that may be what needs to come back and happen. I like Ron. I'll be honest. I like Ron way better. Way better than you. And I've I've met them both. And you know what? Dave Smith um, actually said it on a podcast and, and he said it the way that it made sense to me. Ron Paul was way more like the happy warrior. If you watched him on stage, he never like got angry about things. He was always like in a pretty good mood. Even if the crowd was booing him saying we should pull out of Iraq and stuff. He was just, he, I don't know. He enjoyed being up there. He enjoyed running. You know what I wanted to ask you about? Because this is more your expertise and it goes into, I mean, this is absolutely your expertise and goes into what went on. I, I mean, I think everybody is wondering this. What the hell was going on with the security? Because the we knew this event was happening. It, I, I would have told you it probably would have gotten violent. And the police presence and because of the amount of police that were there, not the individual police, but it was pathetic. And then they actually let the people in the doors. And then, for example, the, the Air Force veteran who they let in yeah, the doors yeah, yeah, yeah. got saw, shot in the I, head I, I and saw. killed. So there was almost a mixed message like, hey, come in here. And then we're going to shoot and kill you. It's, uh, I mean, it, it was just, it was the worst police presence ever. There were videos of like one police officer running after people, I think with a baton being surrounded by like 10 different guys. It was like, what? I mean, I felt like I was watching a third world country. We're supposed to have the best security in the world. And that's essentially what it looks like when something gets overrun in a third world country. It, it looks just like that, except there's more guns. There's more AKs. There's more, there's more explosions. There's, there's a lot more. Um, I, you know, I, I'm sure quarterback in it, Bill Atona, you're I'm sure quarterback. And no bullshit. I've been through all these situations that you see. I've been through that shit. I went through five with teams when we first went into Iraq, um, five different types of protests. The first year I was in Iraq and I, I've said it before on the show, uh, Benghazi, I was less scared because we knew it wasn't a protest. They were shooting at us. So, so game on, you know, switch on motherfucker. I'm shooting back. When you're in a protest and there aren't guns or there aren't guns that are pointing at you, which is part of you know, Iraq, that's half time or even Afghanistan. I can tell an incident in Afghanistan in 2006 as well. Um, you can't shoot back. You really you don't. You, you really. And that that was where they just didn't have a good plan. They thought that a presence, in my opinion, and this is training. They did what they were trained to do. It's just the training or what they're being taught is not correct or it's just not taught well or it's not done enough to become habitual um 
but people, it was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I keep jumping in here, but it, I mean, it was a minuscule presence if you compare it to protests even over the summer, which they had a do, large do, presence. Do I, do, like, yeah. Why did we wait for the National Guard to call be called in? Which, by the way, Trump did not do. Mike Pence finally said, "Call the National Guard." Do I think it was like a conspiracy because because uh, you know the they wanted to overrun the Capitol? I I don't know. I I don't think so. I just think the the plan, whatever the plan was, it was that well, we got a few guns here. We got a few people here. They're not gonna. They're not gonna do it. it they they really believe that 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 maybe it was because of who they were. Hey, look at these are Republicans. They support the police. And I'm I'm pulling this out of my ass. I don't. And every but everybody knows infiltrators could run in there as well. Exactly. It it comes down to a plan of training and not implementing that plan on a tactical side. I'm just saying, talking not not talking subjectively. I'm talking objectively. It's just a piss poor plan that wasn't implemented very well. Or it, the the realization of how and 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 riots can escalate out of control quickly. It's like a fire burning and just wham. And also, it's like wind catches a fire and that fire just takes off. And all of a sudden, holy shit, we are not ready. Which is, looks like that's what happened. Um, why they weren't ready, I don't know. I can't tell you. I'm not in leadership there, but it shows also some failure of leadership, which they need to take responsibility for. Those leaders up top need to definitely look back at an AR and say, "What the hell did we do wrong?" Now, once it took place, though. Um, and they start getting in, you can't just randomly shoot. You, you, you can't do that. Just like we said during the other protests, you can't just go out there and randomly shoot people. In fact, that's, or pepper spray them, or you, you just, you, you just can't do it. Once they've come in through that, now you have to continue to fall back and you have to have points of fallback points where you can harden, which they didn't have until the Air Force lady got shot is what it looked like. That is just called, that's tactics. That's just Simple tactics was called force protection, which is what I used to teach to Afghanis to protect our bases. I have pictures, great class. They, they know how to do it. You have fallback points. All right. Then you get to that fallback point where it's a line of no, you know, limit of advance. They can't let them go any farther. But then again, what force escalation do you need to use? If they don't have guns, do you pull out a gun? And that's where we come back to that final point where they got to where the Air Force lady got shot. I'm assuming that's probably that final hard point. The other hard points they have, they didn't have them in place. They didn't set them up correctly. That's why they were able to blow through. And now they're on their heels. They've lost the initiative. They being the police, the security, in shambles. It's chaos. They have lost control. They are losing. They're getting their asses kicked. And and let's keep in mind, a police officer was also killed. So they were also in the same, they were in it's the same. my life or your life. But the thing is, when that comes, that lady comes in. And let me tell you, I, it's hard for me to talk about this, but I will. Same sort of incident that I was in in Iraq where we had a car bomb go off. And that was my first time in charge as a shift leader. I was working with the State Department, actually, as a contractor, protecting a colonel at the Ministry of Industry and Minerals. Car bomb went off. My first experience with a huge car bomb, it was still probably about 200 meters away from where we were at. But it, it knocked me on my ass. It reverb fell down. I'm in charge. I, I'm my first time in charge of a team. I made the call. To, I shouldn't have made the wrong call. Should have stayed there. We were safe, safer at the ministry, but I made the call. Colonel, get out of there. We got to go. There's there's chaos going on. Shit's happening. I'm hearing gunfire. I got my snipers up on the roof. Uh, Joe and Jeff Lizenby, former Rangers, are like, can we take shots? Can we take shots? I said, are they shooting at you? No, you can't take shots. You can't just shoot randomly in a crowd. Roger that. They came downstairs. I said, we're evacuating now. Got everybody out. We took off. And as we got out the gate, I run into a massive, crazy Iraqi protest. <laughs> and I remember in our cars, you could make a decision. We we're in hard cars. 
we can either run through them and run them over, or we can try to wheeze our way through them and hopefully they don't come at us. And that was either way. It was, it was bad. Well, I made the call. No, we're not going to run people over. No, we're not. We don't do that. We don't do, we don't indiscriminately kill. So we slowed to a crawl. Well, what happened? They immersed in our vehicles, Americans in vehicles, even though we didn't do the car bomb, it's your fault. Shoom, in. They're yanking on the doors. Um, I made the made the call. And I, God damn it. Hold on. I'm, I'm sorry to you know make you go. No, but it, but this is this is this is the emotion that you that you go through and you have to deal with so you don't pull the trigger and kill somebody that doesn't need to be killed. Yeah. Well, I had a great Joe Espino, and I remember I said, uh, Joe, we got to dismount. Joe's my left gunner, big dude, awesome ranger. He, he's a badass. And um, there's a lot of stuff with him. And I said, we got to dismount. We dismounted into that massive, and you don't know what's going to Fuck. You don't know what's going to but it doesn't matter. We got a, we got a diplomat, a colonel who was acting as a diplomat. We got to protect. And I remember we popped out. And I just get emotional because it's, I remember, and it, it, it was fun. I, I, I loved it. Me and him in this crowd, I remember this Iraqi, and he was in a long, long uh, uh, shower kameez, the long dress, white. He's got his he's got his kafiyah on, and he's coming at me. And I remember bringing my gun up, and I smacked him in the face with the muzzle. Wow. Now, I'm in a crowd. I have all the right in the world to start just shooting people. Didn't. Joe gets out. He puts his gun out. Joe's big, big fucking range. <laughs> he says, get the fuck back. Get back. Get back. And I'm out there, get the fuck back. And they're starting to come even more. And I I call the rego dismount now. No, no. This is just how proud I am of those guys. Yeah, Lizenby, Buckley, Harvey, former, you know, uh, Josh Royce was another, you know, former recon rangers. I had 82nd, Lucas, 82nd, born, there was a ranger qualified which we had on and tremendous guys no hesitation popped out and all of a sudden we we're surround the cars and it's us with i don't know hundreds of iraqis trying to get to us and we got them off it was it was walking the cars out starting to move i'm in charge of the team and just guys we got to walk this and we are physically just pushing people off we had all the right in the world to take shots and, and kill, kill them. And we didn't because they didn't, they were threatening. They were pissed off. They were angry. Sound familiar? They were, they were angry. They weren't shooting at us. I didn't see a gun pointed at me. There were guns around, but they weren't pointing at us. And none of my guys, no, none of those pipe hitting sons of bitches, not one of them shot. They held their ground. We didn't have barricades in front of us. It was face to face. So when I see that happen and I see that go to hell, that's a leadership failure by their tacticians, by whoever was in charge of the Secret Service, whoever was in charge of the Capitol Police. It wasn't those guys on the ground. They're doing what they're fucking trained to do. They were just trained to a piss poor standard. And they were and they were outnumbered. And, they, and you and that's the you're always going to be outnumbered if you're in protection. You're going to be, especially in base protection. Um, and with the shooting that took place, I watch. 
is it a sympathetic response? I mean, we've had, you know, armed, we've had people all over, all over saying, ah, it wasn't, it was an intentional or it was sympathetic. A sympathetic response means where your fingers on the trigger and you do a movement and you can't control your movements because you're, you're, you're overstressed and you, you just do respond. You, 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 you clench and you sure. pull the trigger. I'm, I'm watching it and I do, I watched it. Um, I can tell by his movements, the herky jerky movements, he was completely shitting himself, completely gone. He, he, he's, he's out of, he's, he's almost in the black. He's panicking. And I'm going to armchair quarterback the shit out of that because I've been in those fucking situations. I know what it takes to be in those situations. Uh, I miss those situations. I feed off them. Um, I know a lot of guys that I work with, same thing. They can tell you the same thing and people can poo poo me all he wants. And am I now again, am I hitting on him because of what he did? No, he, he did what he was trained to do. They were told, probably, I'm sure, hey, if anybody comes to this door, you shoot him. Bullshit. She, she didn't have a gun. She wasn't armed. All you got to do, and I, that's why I told you about the muzzle thump. All you had to do is go in there, one smack, bam, knock her down. They're going to think twice about coming through. The bad thing, too, about that shot, if you watch the Capitol Police that was behind her, holy dog shit. What if he missed? That's and the way he shot, he obviously didn't grab. He didn't have did he didn't use his sights. But you generally don't use your sights when you're in a duress. Your eyes can focus on one thing at a time, so you don't focus on your front sight. You don't focus on your sights. You focus on that threat. But continual training of focusing on that front sight makes you have the ability to focus on a threat, but still present the gun where it needs to be. Present that farm. He didn't. He basically just threw that thing out there. Splat. Try. If he missed, he shot the police behind him. He didn't know what his back's up and beyond was. Again, well, Chris, you aren't there yet. No, that's what you have to be. You have to be at that freaking level if you're going to do that sort of job. The problem is, is the majority of those guys aren't. They aren't at those levels. Um, Benghazi, to give you that example of Benghazi, we didn't shoot first when they came to our compound and tried to overrun it. They were almost on Oz's and Tig's position before we started taking shots. And the only reason we started shooting is because they threw a bomb over our back fence and it blew up. And to us, that was, okay, they're attacking us. Now we can shoot. We waited that long, even with them having guns and moving on us, we waited to make sure that they were not a good guy or somebody we shouldn't kill. You take somebody's life. That is the, that's the, the last thing you ever want to do. And he had options to not. And they had options to stop it before it got to that point. But because of, and, and I, 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 I really believe this because of, of not having a good plan in effect, not communicating with each other, which you have to communicate when shit goes to hell, you have to talk to your people. Um, and and I, I'm sure some guys were doing very well because I'm sure they were, but in that incident, there wasn't a good fallback force protection plan. And the guy that shot, I, I, I don't think he needed to. I, I really don't. Yes, his life may have been in danger by an unarmed 14-year female Air Force veteran. <laughs> and he's got a gun and his buddies there. The reason I also say it, may, it was a bad shooting, it may have been a sympathetic response where basically he just he jerked the trigger. I don't think he was. I, I really don't think it was because he went forward first and he was jerked and he jerked back which is terrible anyway, because that means he's not trying to get a sight picture. He's just, man, just trying to shoot is because if you watch the other parts of the video, you'll see secret service agents, all of damn near 
not all of them, a lot of them have their fingers on the trigger the whole time before there's anybody even coming in through the doors or into the Capitol. That's terrible. Terrible. You don't do that because that's where those sympathetic, those accidental discharge, which nothing is accidental on a gun discharge. It's all negligent. Those negligent discharges come. This whole thing, you know, what's so confusing is just, I feel like the security from the outside was too easy on these people, just letting them in, doing nothing, not taking any stance. And then the people on the inside were the polar opposite of that. And it just, it's, it's, it goes to training, dude. Again, I, I, I can't tell you that, that the law enforcement or whoever was outside just let them in because they're Trump supporters. I, I think that may be a narrative that CNN or Emmett, of course, the left is going to probably hit. That. I, no, I, I don't believe that. I think guys, I didn't like the people I protected either. A lot of them I hated, <laughs> couldn't stand them. But my job was to protect them and keep them alive. It wasn't, oh, I'm going to stand aside because I don't like my protecting. I don't see that. When guys do stand the job and do the job and protecting, you protect that person whether you like them or not. And you, you've you signed up to give your life for that protecting whether you like them or not. If you can't do that, then you don't do the job, which is why I will never do diplomatic security again because I'm not going to lay my life down for that diplomat because they I've seen what they'll do to me when I do do that. They'll shit on me. They'll turn on me, though, a politician, whoever it is. I just I won't do it. But in that case, no, I, I don't think it was too easy. I just think the, the training wasn't there, that the, there wasn't a plan in effect. Or maybe that was the plan that he let him through. We've got another hard point. Think of why I'm saying that as an example is because if you think to where the Iraqis overran checkpoints at the embassy in Iraq earlier this year. Or was it two years ago? I was on, it was the last time I was on the news to talk about it. And <clears throat> they overran checkpoint after checkpoint after checkpoint. Well, that's why those checkpoints are in place. They overran one. Oh, you're talking about when you went on Alex and all that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Over a year ago. That, yeah. that, that, that force protection, the plan was in place. It wasn't implemented very well, but that plan was in place. They hit one checkpoint. They got through it. And I remember those checkpoints because I was, we had the same sort of checkpoints when I was there. They hit another one. They got through. They hit another one. They got through. Then they hit the final one and they stopped them. Well, that didn't happen, at least from what I saw uh, in D.C. It wasn't. And that's that's usually what force protection is. You, you let them go through. You let them go through. You let them. You, get, you got to unless they're armed and they're shooting at you, then you can shoot back and you can hammer down right at that point that you're supposed to, which is kind of what we did at the consulate. I mean, at, at the annex which is exactly what we did at the annex. We, we let, you know, hey, get them, they can come through there. They can come through that area. They can come through that. Okay, now they're getting to our walls. Oh, there's a shot. All right, let's take them out. Where, where um, that there, I, I, I don't think it was a conspiracy to, hey, let's let these Trump supporters in because they're Trump supporters and we're police and they usually support us. No, and and, and to be fair, over the protests, the uh, the other protests over the <laughs> summer, we saw the same type yeah, of thing. Yeah. We saw police laying down their guns at like Black Lives yeah, Matter. You're right. You're right. You're right. And we're like, what the hell is this? You're, you're right. And and if if it ever comes, and if and if I'm wrong, and it does come to that, the police are making political decisions or security is making decisions because of who the allegiances they lie to, or that they believe in, then they need to get out of the job. You you. That's why. That's why. And that's why I, I I don't regret what I did as far as taking a position. I was angry. I was pissed off. Well, it was also uh, who the president was running against. Yeah, it, it 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 I was so so angry. And if it would have been a Republican president that had left us to die, I would have hammered them as well. I didn't care. It wasn't a side, a left or right. But 
That is also why in the military, that's why General Mattis needs to shut the hell up. That's why uh, law enforcement, you, you shouldn't support one side or the other. You have to stay indifferent because you have to protect everyone, no matter what they or their opinions are. And that's why I never did take a side when I worked. I didn't care who was in charge. I didn't care which political party had power. I never knew I could have gave it two shits because you're not working and fighting for the president or the political party, which is we need to damn near. That's just half the problem. Anyway, the parties themselves. Oh yeah. Yeah. And the founders warned against it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Is that you're you're fighting for America. You're protecting Americans. Doesn't matter where they lie. And that's where, Police, and I even think the military, and especially officers, which we used to have a rule where you couldn't talk, you you couldn't, or you're gone, you're you're done. Um, military needs to pull themselves out of who they support, and and officers also. When the officers get in charge, they need to stop. They need to get out of politics. Period. At all, there, there's officers. You, you see, people are appointed. Officers and military officers are appointed into positions now um, by who president their support or what political party they are. That's bullshit. That's why you, and I think a lot of the, a lot of the enlisted guys that have been around for a long time will tell you a lot of the officers in charge now are, are because of who the, what president they support or what political party they support or what congressman they're, they're helping get elected. Um, and that's horseshit. Now they need to, they, they can't have, they shouldn't have any allegiances to any of the political parties. Your allegiance should be to the people the Constitution in the United States of America, and it's not that anymore, brother. But I, I, I know we're getting off subject a little bit. So um, I, I, I really wish I, I knew exactly why they got through so easy. But my opinion is just piss poor training leads to piss poor performance. And when you're under duress, that's what I always say that's why I do these stress fires. That's why we're doing stress fires all this year at Battleline Tactical. That's what we're doing. And I'm not plugging Battleline, <laughs> uh, but that's why we're doing this because to me, that is the only way you can replicate that sort of duress, that sort of stress, that sort of that heart pounding out of your chest. You can say, well, Chris, that, that, that's not like they're fatiguing them. No, but that's the only way you can get that same responses, that body feeling of you are tired, you're sweaty, your brain's clogged because you're breathing so hard. And now you have to focus. You can't do that with a blue box. I call it the blue box, the timer. You can't do that with a pro timer. You can't do that with just running 20 meters left and right shooting steel. You can't, you have to, you have to fatigue yourself to the point of near exhaustion and then start shooting. That's what I loved about range battalion. Before we'd even go to a range, we'd walk five miles with 50, 60 pound rucksacks to it before we even started the shooting. We'd fatigue the shit out of ourselves before the day even started. So when the time came that you needed to handle that stress, which leads to fatigue, you could. I was the greatest thing at range of time. I love doing those things. That's why we, that's why training sucks so bad because we can never just go to the range and shoot. We always had to add that physical element of just destroying yourself before you even started. And Jack would tell you the same thing. Luke would tell you the same thing. Marty would tell you the same thing. But it's the best training, and it helped me when the shit happened that I had to handle stress. And the hardest thing to do under in a, in a country, the hardest thing to do in any place is it's not shooting. Shooting is easy. When somebody starts shooting at you, it's a piece of cake to start shooting. I ain't going to dumb it down. It's, it's a piece of cake to kill a person that's trying to kill you. It's not even hard. It's not shooting. It's holding back. 
because you don't know. And you're like, oh shit, well, I can't shoot him. I, I don't want to kill this guy. God, but damn it, I've, he's threatening the shit out of me. Okay, now there's a hundred of them. Now there's 200 of them, but nobody is threatening me. But they could rip your, I mean, but in a second, they could be on you and rip your arms out your socket before you even get a shot out. But that's, that's the job. And you have to maintain your composure. If you can't do that, then you, you shouldn't be in the job. And I, I think, I, I think that was, that was the, that was part of the problem right there was, was people aren't getting the training they need. Um, they're getting the training that's fun, the stuff that looks good on YouTube. But when it comes right down to it, they, they don't want that on, on the, on the, except for maybe the highest levels of federal government, which is like the, the counterterrorism HRT team. I mean, I'm sure they're, I got recruited by them. Uh, before I went to the agency and I know, I know they're all former SOCOM guys and they're, they, they train hard, but other than that, no, I, you know, our team leader in Benghazi, uh, we don't mention him in the movie, but he is in the book. Um, I worked with him before in Afghanistan and Iraq. He did, he was former secret service guy. He, he shit himself. He didn't do anything that night and I don't care. I'll call him out. He can be mad at me and all everybody can be mad at me, but I, I don't give two shits. He he hid. He didn't fire a gun. He hid down. He, he didn't come up to the rooftop one time to help us. And I remember when I got back to the agency, um, they were asking me, I said, hey, and I'm not going to give you, I can't give you his call center's name because he's still working, I think. I think he is. I could give two shits anymore. I said, uh, he's, the people asked me, I said, what, so how do, how do you do? I said, he did awesome because he stayed out of the fucking way. And he was, that's Secret Service right there for you. That's what his past job was before he came on. Now, Secret Service are going to hate me. They're going to, I, I, it doesn't, not all of them are that. I know there's some probably fantastic ones doing the job, but there are points where you have to look back and say, hey, what did we do wrong? Are we doing everything right? Was this really justified? If your orders, that guy's orders was to shoot, if somebody breaks through that door, okay, he did what he was told. He did, he followed orders. Good on you. That's where moral courage has to come into account. And you got to ask yourself, is this order the right thing to do? And guys have been through it. Moral courage. Sometimes you have to disobey an order. If it's the wrong, if it's the wrong thing to do. And I think in that case, I think I know in that case it, it was just by watching it all. Um, but whatever, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it is, it's done. It's done with, you know, the lady that was there, she shouldn't have been in there either. So, yeah, so it takes two to tango. I mean, we have a saying in the military, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. So no, guys. And we've said that on our show before. If you go into these situations, expect bad things to happen. That's why you don't want to go in these situations. You don't want to. It, it does no good to riot. Does no good. Doesn't do anything. Yeah. And these people <laughs> that were in the Capitol, they Stuff is going to happen to them. I mean, I know the pictures are of them smiling, having having a great time. One of them being the guitarist from Iced Earth. That was surprising. I, 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 you know, I, I was, I, but he wasn't the Viking, right? I mean, we're getting no, we're no, getting no. On the but he, was, he was in, he was in the Capitol, you know. So the these people probably will do jail time. I will right. think. You right. know, we have facial recognition technology. Everybody is on social media. It's going to be very hard, very easy to track down everyone who was there. Yeah, just, just like the rioters for the Antifa and black, same thing. You hold the yeah. same standard. That's, this is again, a, another opportunity for a country to, 
really come together by holding the same standards you do, regardless if you support Trump or Biden or Obama or Bush. I feel or, like it's not, I, I hate to say it, I feel like it's not going to happen. I, you go on social media and it, I don't know, no one wants to be reasonable and I'm glad we're able to have these talks, even though I'd rather not even have these talks. I'd rather just talk about motivation and positivity, but this is what's going on, and I appreciate you being open and candid. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry about does. sorry about. Bruce. No, I appreciate it, man. I, I'm sure the audience does. I mean, I I couldn't imagine these scenarios. I, I've never been in that. I I love um, I love talking because it it really. I I break down not because it was a hard day. It's because I'm so proud. You 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 don't. That's what those feelings of being around those kind of guys. I'm sorry to interrupt. I know we got to get moving. No, no. Um, but fine. being around those, you don't get those feelings of that brotherhood that fuck these guys had my back without a second thought. It's like, dude, this, I, I even remember, I remember on the radio, I just remember being out with me and Joe screaming at these guys to get the fuck back, get back after I punched one in the face with my muzzle and then just getting on the radio calmly and just doing one word, just dismount and just whew, the whole team. I, you just, you, that. Yeah, no, I know you're, I know you're proud of it. I, it is. It, it, and I, yeah. I, I missed, I missed, that immensely immensely anyway let's let's keep going before i start yeah. blubbering up again no I, I i get it man uh well before we get to emails and all that though i i actually did want to ask you because i gave my take on this uh and it's on a positive note i wanted to hear what you thought about gary brugman being pardoned because i said it on the show and i don't know if you shared these feelings yeah, yeah. and i hate to say this i in a lot of ways thought it was never going to happen and i would never say it to gary but in a way it was almost like this guy's wasting his time I didn't think because when I think of presidential pardons, and I said this on a previous show, no matter who the president is, this isn't political. I think of people who could do political favors for you. And yeah, that's yeah, usually yeah. pardon. And Gary does not have the Gary's not a politically connected guy. He can't do any favors for Trump. So I have no problem saying he did the right thing. I'm very happy that Gary's a free man. I'm excited. And I'm going to talk to him at the end of this show. I'm going to, you know, you're, I know you have something to do tomorrow, but yeah. I'm going to get a quick uh, response from him. But yeah, I wanted to hear your take because I never thought it was going to happen. And I was so happy to see it happen as well as Ramos and Compion because uh, those two guys got commuted from Bush, but they did not get hardened. And it's because, quite honestly, the past two presidents before this one, o Obama and Bush, were very weak on Border Patrol. Yeah. There's no question. Yeah, no, I've I, I, been knowing Gary personally. Yeah, it means a lot because it's happened. I remember texting him and saying, man, I'm, I'm happy for you, brother. And I'm glad. I, I'm going to, he'll probably talk about it. You know, his, his mother is, is not in good health. So for her to be able to see it, cause I just would put myself in my Latino mother's position. If not, <laughs> she's not good in health and being able to see it and how happy she would be for me. I, I, I was happy for him, not just because for him, but for, because I know his mother is probably just something that she can be proud of and is proud to see before, you know, if, if, God forbid, if she passes, I hope she doesn't I hope she gets better very quickly. But if she does, you know, at least she got to be here to see it. And I know that as Gary being, I think he's the same type of guy I am. He's probably a little bit more, a little bit more redneck than I am, but <laughs> still country, still a little, still a little bit country. I know. Even though he's a New York guy. Even though he's a New York guy. Exactly with the cowboy. He's an urban cowboy. Um, <laughs> I know that him being there and his family able to savor that with him makes him feel better because I, I, I know it would make me. I'm happy uh, by having been able to experience that with his family. So, and it, it says a lot that it was wrong. I, you, you're right. You don't see a lot of pardons unless there's a tit for tat. Hey, can you pardon me? I, I gave you a help. Yeah, I mean, like, thing. look who got pardoned. I'm just saying, like, yeah. Rod Blagojevich, yeah. right? 
I mean, that, that's <laughs> who I think of who gets parts, those type of people. That's, and um, so that just, to me, that just said that, yeah, it was completely, what happened in was completely uh, one-sided. And I think it definitely was. I mean, how many years did he serve in prison? Are you shitting me for doing his job? And he did his job. I, don't, I didn't think he go went overboard at all. No, um, no, no one was even really hurt. No, it, it was, it was here. Let's make an example of that guy. And it's politicians trying to make an example out of someone. And it, it, it shows that how, what it does to, to person and families and politicians don't see that shit. They sit in their little office. Maybe, you know, at the, the, the good thing that if there's any good thing that comes out of, out of this right now is maybe politicians can see that you are not untouchable. And I don't want it to be that, Hey, we, we see politicians die, but they, they, they've become on these pedestals that they are so untouchable that they can do stuff like this to Gary and get away with it. And, and I, I I'm glad that somebody, whether it was Trump or whoever did it on his administration came in and said, this was effing wrong. This guy did more than, time than he he didn't even need to do and here he did did it and he's been handling it in a good way uh, as far as being respectful as he can be i mean i i have i'd be f this f that being respectful as he can be and we need to give you know we need to give him a little bit of love back because we took a lot from him um and he also was serving our country protecting our borders at the time so i'm i'm happy for for gary the the dirty urban cowboy weren't anything so, <laughs> so i'm i'm glad it I'm glad it happened. It couldn't have happened to a better person. And, you know, the, 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 also the Blackwater guys that were, were, were released finally from federal prison as well. The, uh, yeah, do you want to comment on that? Cause I'll yeah, be honest. I know very little about it. Raven 23 guys. Yeah. They, um, you know, I, I you, Iraq's a, I, I told you that just my little episode there in Iraq, and that was one of many, um, situations where you go into a car bomb and, and a hot, a hot incident. Um, Good initiative, probably bad judgment being there as their, their team leader. They shouldn't have been in that situation. Their team leader put them in that situation, but they were still doing their jobs. It just was a bad call by their team leader leaving leaving the, the green zone to get out there to to help a team that may not even be there at the time. But once they get there and all hell breaks loose, you can't condemn guys for, for, for protecting themselves and firing back. And having an FBI investigation in Iraq after an incident – Dude, you won't find a piece of brass after a gunfight in Iraq. That's like th- when you throw brass, when brass comes out of your gun, that's like a silver dollar falling on the ground. That's money. So to come out there and to try to do an investigation of a bad shoot in Iraq during a co- during war, during 2005, when we really still were in the global war on terror, horseshit. Again, another group being made an example of and them having to suffer because of President Obama has to whatever the hell he wanted to do to show that he was tough on contractors and we got to appease the Iraqis. And, and I, I know there were some Iraqis that died that shouldn't have. I, I've seen I've seen Iraqis die that shouldn't have. I've seen Americans die that probably shouldn't have either. Um, but that being said, those guys, they went into an incident where an IED went off, EBI ID went off, a team was in trouble. They were the the QRF. They shot out of there. Um and they got into their own, their own, their own altercation. Um, 
with the team because the team that got hit by the VBID was still able to move and they, they got off the X. Well, the communication wasn't there. They got out of the area. Sorry, off the X. They got out of the area that the, uh, the communication wasn't there. So that QRF team, when they got to the area where they thought the attack was, the team that they were responding to was already gone. So basically they ran themselves into a kill, <laughs> kill zone, bad tactics, lack of communication. But once you're there, you have to defend yourself. And, you know, car bombs, it's not like you can, you can, uh, you know, there was a car, I know I, one of the, the bad, one of the things that put them in, put them in prison was there was a vehicle coming towards them that wouldn't stop. And normally in that case, you do have to look for other indicators. How is the car sitting low? Because when they used to load it with explosives, it would sit real well. I mean, you could tell it was like a low rider, um, only one person in it because car bombers don't bomb with multiple people and they've got one driver in there. It's usually one person. It's never a kid when a car bomb, um, generally not a woman, but they've changed tactics now because they saw we were looking for that. So sometimes they'll use women now. Um, but <clears throat> some of the indicators, the guys were new to Iraq and they were new to the area. They didn't catch the indicators. So a car was coming towards them. It wouldn't stop. And it got within, I think 10 meters, 15 meters of them. And they, they shot it up. Now, there were some other things going on as well in that chaos, but that was, I think, one of the main reasons why they were thrown because the, that Iraqi family went to the State Department and said, you killed our, our son and our, our husband, our, our, the son and father. And um, a bad shoot, it was, but it's war, man. It's war. You know, it, they shouldn't be going to federal prison for that. And uh, trying to do an investigation was, was complete farce. Again, it was just an excuse to throw them in prison. And uh, they did. They went to federal prison, four of them. Um, one of their guys copped a plea deal. I don't know what happened with that. I, I think he just was, a, I, I don't know what, what the fuck he was thinking. Um, but they were finally released uh, and spent their first Christmas. I think it's been, when, that was 10, 12 years ago. Some of that small children. And now they're seeing their kids as, as and now they were doing was serving their, they were, they were serving their country in a, in a war zone, protecting diplomats that turned on them. Um, yeah, bro. I, so Gary is saying another thing. Gary, great. Those guys deserve to be out too. I, I again, they, good initiative, bad judgment on them leaving. They did some tactical mistakes because they were either young or they just just didn't have a good leader in charge. But again, there was no reason. No, you're in war. That's you, you get fired from the job. You get sent home. You lose your security clearance. But you don't go to federal prison just to just so Obama can appease the Middle East, which is what he was trying to do at that time. It was a big, big political thing. So, man. So but I can't wait. I know I won't be here with Gary stuff, but maybe we'll get him on again and and um, I can talk to him about it. We can jaw jack and you can get some stuff out of him because he's he deserves that, man. He deserves yeah. to be out. And it's his family. Yeah, I, I knew very little about the case until I met him in person. And I, I knew he wanted to come on the show and. You always hear about all these people who want to get a pardon, and some of them should, some of them probably shouldn't. But when I actually sat down with them, got to know the guy, and hear the story, I agree. It was very clear cut. Um, I want to get to these emails really quickly. I don't know if people want to hear a recap of Disney on, on a much lighter <laughs> note. <laughs> <clears throat> Love going to, I, you know, Disney. Honestly, Disney was itself. Disney guys, you you got to lay off. You got you you you're basically the masks mask nazis you, you're you gotta you gotta calm down i get it in the buildings but man i saw i saw some of the some of the people that that are in the lines you know that, that let people through lines they were chasing people down that didn't have that had the mask just below their nose outdoors 
Yeah, which is uh, which is and it, it just it, it almost it was like people were just they were more afraid they were going to get dressed down by a Disney staff for having their mask too low than to really enjoy it. But you know, with all that, with all that, seeing my kids smile and laugh, and and Mickey there, and and going on the rides, and the Star Wars land is the first time for me to see the Star Wars land, whatever it's called. It, it was awesome, and the new rides they have at, at Hollywood Studios, it was fun. Um, but really, it, it was stressful. It was more stressful at Disney because of Jesus. This is mad. I mean, guys, lighten up. But once you know, we also have a. Uh, we also go and we stay at Orange Lake Resorts when we're there as well, which is in Kissimmee, and that was fun because I mean th- th- that was back to the normal mass rule where yeah, you're indoors, you wear a mask, you're outdoors, yeah, you're fine. And and, and um, being able to to not worry about some Disney staff member coming, hey, put your mask on. Was it was relaxing and and again, it, it makes it all worthwhile because my 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 uh, my son and daughter my sons and daughter had a had a blast and see my five year old still just get so excited when he sees because the characters were still there they weren't there as much as they usually are but they're still there seeing Diz, seeing Mickey and Goofy and Pluto and just seeing his eyes light up it it, it all that did all that Nazi mass the Disney mass Nazi stuff. Um, it, it all puts it in perspective because it, it makes it worthwhile. And I had fun and it was great. And being out in the sun, dude, like we talked about, we got to move the show to Florida. Getting up oh, in yeah. the morning and being able to run it. Florida. I really <laughs> might. Um, I, I want to get to as many emails as yeah, I can. Go ahead. There's a ton of them. But um, you know what? Because we covered enough politics this first hour, I'll probably I'll probably stay away from the political ones and get to <laughs> uh, But before we do, of course, uh, you know, you heard Chris just talking about Battleline Tactical. And Battleline Tactical uses Fort Scott Munitions, which is a manufacturer of multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC-spun ammunition. It's designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed-out and quicker incapacitation. This ammunition was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military-grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors, in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it will be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring it received the same results with each pull of the trigger. We even we might get to them, we might not. We even have some uh, guns and ammo questions, and we have people who have switched over to Fort Scott who emailed me. They love what they're doing. So Fort Scott is available throughout privately owned businesses in all 50 states, as well as directly online through fortscottmunitions.com. When you go there, use the promo code BATTLELINE, and you're going to get 15% off your order, only available to listeners of the BATTLELINE podcast. Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, BATTLELINE Tactical, and the BATTLELINE podcast. Uh, With that, all right, let's get into some different things. (laughs) I'm going to sort through these. You know what? Actually, this one right here, you know how we've, we're going to do giveaways? Yeah. The best yeah. Now is to get a mag giveaway. Yeah. This is my nomination for the mag giveaway because this guy is a shooter and I love everything he has. Okay. Said. Okay. Got it. Just just joke, but, but I actually like this email a lot. Uh, so this is from Scott T. I really love this. So, dear Battleline, it is my family's tradition at New Year's Eve to say what we're thankful for during the year. Of course, I am thankful for my family, our health, and the fact that we still have jobs. I'm also thankful for Battleline Podcast. It has been a positive force in a crazy and overly negative time. Um, I learned 
of Battleline uh, podcast after getting the opportunity to have a one-on-one personal book signing with Chris. After a few minutes of being starstruck, I was able to have a wonderful conversation with him, and it truly was the highlight of 2020. I have never been a podcast person before that. Now I have Battleline on all the time when I'm doing work out in the garage or puttering around the house. My wife even gives me shit for being a fanboy, <laughs> a badge which I wear proudly. The musical guests that you've had on are absolutely wonderful. Never in a million years would I seek them out to listen to their music, but after listening to the guests, I can tell you that I have at least one or two of their songs on my workout playlist. Thanks for that, Ian. Thank you. Uh, I've adopted the mottos of embrace the suck, hit challenges head on, and never quit. These mottos have really helped me at work. When things get nuts, I remember to embrace the suck and keep on keeping on. Finally, my question. I received my Fort Scott ammo. See this guy? Nice. And we'll be switching out the old ammo in my home protection magazine. This magazine has been loaded for years. So there is. So is there any issue with the magazine failing? Oh, any maintenance I should do so it does not fail. Thank you for all you do, and don't change a thing, Scott T. Gotcha. Should this guy get the mag? Yeah, yeah we, we, well, we need to give him a new mag if he's had one that's been that's been loaded forever. Uh, you know, generally, they, they, the springs do wear on them, uh, but that's more from constant usage or the the bottom, depending on the type of mag it, mag it is. If it's a metal mag, uh, the old good aluminum mags that we used to have, the the base can, because of the pressure that's on it, you know, it it could fail. Generally, though, you're you're okay. But I, I would, I if you've had it in there for a few years, I would probably switch mags because again, like any, it's just a spring. It's spring loaded that that pushes the uh, pushes the rounds up. Um, once you shoot them, you know, and they extract, they get extracted, they go out the ejection port cover. You know, round moves up. It's a spring that does that. Like any spring, it's it's going to get wear. You know, the more it's compressed, it's going to stay compressed. So um, it depends how long. But well, I've had yeah, I've had mags loaded for a year went out shot and they've been fine. But generally speaking, if it's been a while, <laughs> yeah, change your mags. I, I would, I put, I load them in another mag and at least let that spring actually will, will come back it, somewhat, not to brand new, never will. Cause it's, you know, it's brand new, never, nothing comes back when it's brand new and be used a little bit, but you know, change mags out and use a new mag and uh, the Magpul mags too. And the, and the, uh, what's the Lancer mags, all those things you got out there, same thing. They're all spring loaded with a they're all spring loaded. So that spring's going to wear a little bit. So yeah. Um, if it's just been a few months now, nah, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. But it's been a year that's been sitting in there. Just change mags. Don't get rid of the mag. Keep it. Just let that spring, you know, get, let the release on that spring go. So uh, it, it can at least get its uh, a continuity back or get it, get its, get its as a structure I'm looking for. I'm trying to think of the good word. Um, it is continuity. Get it back. And then you can use it again. And then, you know, every, yeah, every once in a while, probably go to the range, you need to shoot them. Whatever mag you're using as your home defense mag, go to the range and shoot it. And just to make sure that it's, it's where you always want to test your equipment. Good story on that is I had an AK-47. I first went to Iraq. I bought it from my Iraqi because State Department didn't give us enough weapons. So we didn't have enough guns to come over there and protect our diplomats when we first got there. So I bought one from my Iraqi and I took it out one op. Luckily, nothing happened. Came back to the range to test fire it click there was no firing pin in it <laughs> so always go this might be dumb always go test your equipment to make sure it works you know and then then keep what you got yeah but every six months seven months change it change your mag change out bullets into a different mag and let that mag relax and 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 get its structure back or allow it to chillax chillax like- or allow, allow that allow that mag <laughs> to chillax a little bit put a new mag in
That that was a great email though, and and that's why we do it. You know, when I hear that we're adding positivity to people's lives, that, that makes me happy because I think most <laughs> out there is not doing that. Yeah. So um, this was a great one too. So yeah, this guy's going to get the mag. I, at least just a bit. Tell I've got right now the John fifteen thirteen mags. We put those up. They are completely sold out. And of course, with all the craziness that just went on, guess what ran out. There, so I'm getting new mags made, but I got plenty of battle line mags left. So okay, we'll get so them. And if you want to buy one, Chris Tonto, Peranto.com or Tonto's And I've got 14th hour mags too. So he just whatever one he wants, the battle line or the 14th hour. But all these others are getting um, that we get to, you know, the first nine left, if we get to more, uh, are getting books from authors, uh, cool. sponsored stuff that we have. So this is from Brittany. Hey, Chris and Ian. Chris, I'd love to hear how you and Tanya have navigated explaining PTSD to your kids, or as you say, post-traumatic stress to your kids, or post-traumatic growth. Post-traumatic growth. I like that better. I do. That's awesome. So how you've navigated explaining it to your kids over the years. Any advice would be appreciated. Thanks for all you do, Brittany. Uh, you know, my kids, my my son grew up with it. My son, my oldest son, Christian, and it, 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 it took a toll on our relationship until, honestly, until this year. Um, you know, he remembers daddy's being angry all the time. It was daddy being so hard. And I was, I was now. Um, but when he finally brought it to my attention, it was this year where he said, I, I he says, I, I asked him, I go, why do you never, cause he never smiles. And it was worrying me 16. And he goes, well, because you were, you were so mean to, and it was, you were so mean to me. I'm like, man, fuck. It hurt as a dad. Like, and I thought back in, you know, and I am, he goes, because, because he sees how I am with my five-year-old now, which I'm not, I'm completely, di- and I am, I'm a completely different person than I was when I was deploying all the time. I was angry. I was always, you have, when you're going overseas that long and, and so what I probably could have done better enough where I would have recognized it was to try to let that anger go. It's harder to do, but I can do it because I've done it. Not be as angry. Let that go. Leave Iraq and Iraq as best I could or leave Afghanistan Afghanistan the best I could and be a <clears throat> father that's just happier, smiling. I, I know that's hard to do. It's like, I can, you can't do it. I didn't know how to do it until I knew how to do it because of multiple kids I've had. So I'm telling people now, those who are having kids, is that it's not really explaining post-traumatic stress. And, and it's, it's as, a, as the person, it's figuring out that you have it or you're, you've got to ratchet down that feelings, that intensity that you get when you're overseas, you got to ratchet it down when you get home, figure out a way to do it. Now, as the spouse, I wish, and, and I wish Tanya and she's done a, she's done a better job. I don't think at the beginning though, because I was always angry. She was mad at me and it's not her fault. I don't think she knew how to do it either. It's to talk to my son and say, daddy's just, he's, 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 this is what's going on with him. This is where he's at. And you have to be blunt. You can't church it. Daddy's seeing stuff in Iraq that he's seeing people die. And this is why he's so angry. He doesn't hate you. He's not angry at you. He just is having issues right now. Getting, getting his head right. Be a spouse and, and tell him the hard truth. It doesn't matter if he's four or five or six. I think if that would have happened more when my son was four or five, where we thought he probably couldn't understand it. I think he, he, it, it he would have been better now with the smiling, but we, we, we got over that hurdle. It, we did this year. Um, so that is my, with spouses, you, you, you have to help that person out, whether it's a husband that's helping the wife that's coming back or the wife that's helping the husband that's coming back. You have to be that buffer because 
especially if you're a guy like myself that's too stupid or proud or ignorant to realize, okay, this is I, I need to ratchet that shit down. Not say, hey, this is me. I'm, a, this is, I'm going to Iraq all the time. I can be as badass as I want, tough as I want to my kids. Then talk to you. Know, hey, talk and 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 be that be that person that can be that go between between you and your kids. And and then as the person himself, I'm I'm just reiterating again. You have to realize that you're being an asshole. <laughs> Bottom line, and you you've got to leave the assholeness. You got to leave that anger, that intensity. You you have to find a way to leave the majority of. You can't leave all of it. I know that, but leave the majority of it overseas till you get back. And, um, yeah, I, I, it was, that's a good question because I just, I mean, I don't know, shocking. I just went through it with my 16 year old boy and now we're, we're good. You know, he, he really was always skeptical of his dad because he, all he ever saw of me really for the first 10, 11 years of his life was me just being angry. And then, you know, during the movie and that came out, Tane and I were divorced. So I was, a, I was not home. I, he didn't see me at all. I, he just saw me as damn dad left mom. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So but that's a great question. And, uh, but and I hope I answered it adequately and yeah. just got to be oh, honest. Sure. Yeah. And, and I liked what you said. Uh, so this is another uh, firearms question. Hello. Uh, after watching Tonto's video on his AR setup, I recently strapped an aim point on top of yeah. my AR. I started at 25 yards to sight it in and starting moving out at 100 yards. The red dot covers up a lot yeah. more of the second yeah. target. Yeah. And I assume does the same for even further out. What would you consider the maximum effective range using the red dot? And is there any way to compensate for the dot size at longer ranges? Thanks, Jeff. My, I always tell people, whatever you can see, <laughs> if, if your eyes are getting bad and you can't see past 75 meters, your massive max effective range is 75 meters. Um, no, a hundred is just a good, it's always a good, uh, a, a good, good gauge. And that's how it was from the beginning with iron sights. Um, depending on the aim point that you get, you can get different dots where you can dim it. So you got to dim it. You got to dim the dot. As you get out farther, yes, of course, that dot, especially if it's at the brightest mode, is going to cover up the entire target. So you don't know where you're hitting. You got to be able to dim it up. If you can't dim that aim point, well, then your max effective range is where you can effectively engage the target without covering up the entire target with the dot, which may be 75 meters. I normally zero, whether it's a red dot or a reflex sight at 50 meters is where I generally zero. That's, that's a good, but getting all the way back to hundred and doing a true hundred, hundred yard zero is fantastic. Um, yeah. So if that aim point doesn't have a dim switch, which it should, I have aim, aim points are great. They're, they're fantastic. I have, I've still have my very first CCO, my very first comp M that I had at range Town. I still have it, <clears throat> have it here. Um, but you're able to dim that dot. You got to dim it down. So dim, dim the sights, and that makes the dot smaller. Um, and then you, again, you have to find the happy medium where you can still see the dot and the target, and it still doesn't cover up the entire the entire part itself. If you can't dim it, then you your your effective range is where it doesn't cover up the whole target, and that is whatever. I don't know what kind of what kind of comp, what kind of aim point you have. Then um, that's with any sight. That's why. Uh, we work when we go battling tactical courses, we teach that actually. Hey, you got to be able to dim your sight. You got to be able to do that on the fly, dim it, uh, brighten it up and so forth. Um, whether it's a EOTech, whether it's a Vortex UH-1, whether it's an Aimpoint, whether it's a, a, a Burris, whatever it is, you, that's why it has different dimming settings is because one brightness, that's what you're going to run into where you get farther back 
you're not going to be able to see the target. Um, but then also you don't want it too, too light. Like some of the ones that are, that are based off solar power where sometimes they'll get too dim. You can't see it at all. So it's at happy medium. Yeah. So just play with that. If you have a dimmer switch, just play with that dimmer switch. Good job. Zero at the 25 and moving back. You're just confirming at each yard line. That's fantastic. If you can't do that though, I recommend zero at the 50. If you have time to do it, you can go get a true hundred yard zero. That's the best to get. Excellent. All right. Um, this is from Randy. Even though the email address says Patricia, but it says Randy. So maybe he's email. Uh, hey, Chris, hope you had a great Christmas with Mickey Mouse. Glad you made it back safe, even though you are lighter in the billfold. Area. <laughs> uh, since you've worked both as an army ranger and as a private contractor, could you tell us the upside of each one and the downside to each? Was it a harder decision? To, was it a hard decision to leave the rangers for the private sector? Thanks and hope you have a great day or have a great 2021. Sincerely, Randy Dolly High. I think I know Randy. I think I know Randy. Yeah, Randy's come to some course. Randy's a good dude, man. He needs to come to Florida. Randy, I need to see you in the Florida course again. Get your ass there in February. Nice. Um, uh, it was harder becoming a ranger by far because of the discipline. The, the rangers are very, at least it was when I was in. I don't know anymore, you bad boys. I don't know how disciplined you are with your, with your haircuts now. You can have whatever you want. Um, but it was, the discipline was harder. You know, you, you, you have to be able to get told what to do and that's not, and then the standards are so high, you have to meet those standards and you're not giving time. Oh, I, I, well, maybe he'll meet the standard next week. No, you're thrown in line. You got to do what we're telling you to do now, because we may be leaving on a plane tomorrow to go fight a war tomorrow. So you need to do it. So it was, it was stressful, extremely stressful. And I was younger too at the time. So it was harder to deal with the stress because I hadn't dealt with stress like that yet. And so you're, you're really just, you're, you're thrown in the fire. And so definitely being a ranger physically, yeah, it was harder because again, the standards, you can't take Monday off if you want to. You, that's, there's no, I, I'm tired. I'm sick. So what? PT starts at five. Get your ass here. We're going for a five mile run. Shit. All right. Well, we're there. You, that's the, there, there's standards you have to hold and the discipline is there that you have to be disciplined to do it. On a contracting side, first of all, I was older. So I had already been used to a lot of this stuff. Second of all, contractor, it's all you. You have to be a self-motivator. There is no standard. I, there are standards you have to hold, but it's up to you to meet those standards. If I don't want to get up in PT at five in the morning, then I'm not going to do it because there's nothing that's going to regulate me to do it. I have to be a self-starter. And that's why they want guys that are from, at least at that time, from the special operations community, because that has been ingrained in us, whether you're SEAL, SF, Delta, PJ, Ranger, Force Recon. <clears throat> those characteristics are already instilled in you. But you know some of the guys got lazy and didn't want, didn't want to keep the standards, but at least they're there, the guidelines for it. So I would say being a ranger was oh, definitely harder. Uh, and, but it also allowed me to become a great, I thought a great contractor because I took all those lessons I learned as a ranger over to contracting. And I, I liked it better being a contractor because I didn't have somebody screaming at me to get something done. I could do it when I wanted to do it, but I knew that I needed to do it quickly because that's I was taught as a ranger. Um, was it hard getting out? No, because I didn't have a choice. I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease and was medically discharged from the military. It was, I didn't have an option. I, I would have, if the Crohn's didn't come, I would have stayed in the army. I would have stayed and I probably would have stayed at Ranger Battalion. And uh, I did become an officer. So I would have stayed and become an officer and hopefully got to the unit and maybe become a colonel at, at the unit. But that didn't happen. So because of, because of uh, my body, because of getting Crohn's disease and me basically shitting my guts out 
<laughs> and having to get medically discharged and finally getting myself healed up. And then the contract will come. That was a path. Thank God. God has set that path for me. I didn't know it at the time, but that was the path I was supposed to go. And just that's how it worked out. Yeah. Good question. Good answer. Um, this one is from Dwyer that just uh, says Dwyer in the email address. Um, I don't, I don't think it's from uh, Scott Dwyer, but you know, who, who knows? knows? <laughs> uh, hey, Chris and Ian, I just want to thank you guys for everything you do for making an amazing podcast. You guys are a huge inspiration to me and my kids love listening to it when we go out. I hope your kids aren't like seven. Yeah. Never sorry. Mind. As long as your kids are like, I don't know, 15, I think we're appropriate enough. But uh, yeah, the question is, I uh, the question I have is I enlisted in the United States Marine Corps Reserve in 2002 and got a medical discharge in 2004 before my unit got deployed to Iraq. Since my discharge, I've had regrets about not being able to go downrange and feel like I missed out and didn't do my part. Now I'm 37 and I have a family and I feel like I lost my chance to go. How do you guys think I should go about getting over them feelings? Thanks again, guys. Well, this is definitely a you question. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry Ian. People don't know. <laughs> hey, man. Hey, no, of course you didn't. I think that we didn't plan it this way, but the segue of me getting Crohn's disease. I hadn't deployed yet with Ranger Battalion. I didn't know what was going to happen. And I got, I got, you know, I got discharged from the military. Um, that was the path that was supposed to go. I didn't question that path. I was upset. I did. You know, I take that. I did effort. Like, why? I, what did I do, man? I, I, I fought my ass back to get back in the military because I had been discharged before. And then I went back in and did everything all over again to fight to get back to where I was to do it all over again. And now this is happening to me. God sets us in paths that we don't know why. Um, I didn't know. And then the contracting came up. That was what I was supposed to do. Um I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm not saying, hey, go be a contractor, leave your family, go down. Range. If you haven't already heard from me, being a contractor is and and how your family's being gone all the time. It does it does take a toll on them. Um, what I'm saying is, don't just that was what's supposed to happen. And I can, you know what? And if you don't go, the reason why and this is what I tell guys the reason why is there probably was a bullet with your name on it. That's why. And God said, you know what? It's not your time. You need to be home with your family, raise your family correctly, raise them right, be a great father. And, 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 and don't worry about you not putting your time in. You did, you served, you, you were in the Marine Corps, brother. You, you went through Marine boot. That's pretty tough. That's pretty tough as it is. So no, hell no. Don't ever have that regret. I, I wish I, I, I glad I, I glad I'm glad I got to do the stuff I did deploying and all that. I did. I had fun. I, I experienced a lot, but if you, Listen to what I said on the just the last person. I also suffered. My family life also suffered. And if you can hear my voice, I have a little bit of regret in that because of me having to repair a relationship now with my 16-year-old that suffered because I was gone all the time. Um, and me experiencing all that great stuff I get to be with my five-year-old, I didn't get that with my 16-year-old when he was that age. I, 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 I do regret that a little bit. So, no, you, you're, you're where you need to be. Um, if the time comes that you need to deploy, you're 37 contracting. I mean, that's when I started deploying as a contractor was right around. Yeah. 30, 30, I think it was 30. No, it was 33, but you're still to stay in good shape. And if it happens, it happens. But being a father and being a good, good husband is more important. Really it is than, than, getting down range and being some pipe hitter. It, it really is to me, in my opinion, I'm glad I do. What I got to do, I got to do both. 
I'm very, very lucky and blessed that I've been able to do both. But like I just said, it just took me this year to repair that relationship with my 16-year-old son. And I do regret not having more memories with him growing up that I have with my five-year-old now. Um, so yeah, it, it, you know, it's, it's a give or take. It, it really is. So you're where you need to be. Pray on it. Hey, God, give me guidance. Give me acceptance. And then maybe the time comes where, yeah, you know what? They need you and you go over. All right. And if that happens, then be ready for it. But, and if it doesn't, you serve brother, you've done more than 90% of the, I don't know what the, what the, what the, what the percentage are, but you serving and signing up and, and going through boot and serving in the Marine Corps for two years, you serve more than 90% of the population. I, I mean, I'm pulling that number out of the air, but it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's like 99%. 99. Yes. Yeah. So, so no, you be, yeah, no, that's your service, man. It doesn't yeah. matter that yeah. you didn't do the same thing that other people on this show have done. You know, I haven't done anything. So. And I've, <laughs> hey, bro, not, and I've, I've worked guys downrange that have gone downrange and, they're shit bags. <laughs> so don't, don't think that's going to make you, it doesn't make you a better person. You're, you're a better person, whether you want to be or not. And, and being a good father and a good husband is one of the high parameters of being a better person is that has to be top on your list. Yeah. I think what you said was profound there. Um, all right. This is from Kathleen O'Rourke. Good morning. I've been uh, shopping for an emergency band radio. Do you recommend one or have a link for Kind regards, Kathleen O'Rourke. I don't know the first. You thing. know, emergency. No, they're just you go online and buy anything that uses batteries. Really, I, right. I just look for. They're, they're, I mean, they're really. Uh, you know, I know there's some guys that probably the, the preppers out there, and I hey, I don't. I, I think you're smart. I'll be honest. With you. I, I don't think you're. I don't make funny at all. That that's being prepared is is not something to be made fun of. Um, but I, I think you know, going and just finding a, a, a emergency band, and you can just search emergency band radios making sure that it, it uses batteries. Cause of course, if you're going to be using an emergency band radio, chances are the electricity has gone. So um, that's your biggest thing and seeing what the bandwidth is and what the reach is. I don't have a, a one per se that uh, brand I would recommend, but again, emergency bands, emergency band, you're just finding the reach and making sure that the battery life is outstanding and making sure it uses normal common batteries like double d's or 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 the the two, what's what's the little 2a battery i think two or 2c what's the the normal ones the little round ones you put in remote controls and stuff i think double a or triple double a's or triple a's yeah i think double a's and triple a double a and triple a making sure, sure it uses and not not some outlandish battery that you know you can only buy at interstate batteries <laughs> you know yeah so that that's just just, just that's the best advice i can give you uh, and you'll be All fine right. this one is not really a question so because it's not a question, I'm not going to give you a prize because we're <laughs> not because I'm a dick. Um, but I liked it. So I'm going to I'm going to read this one. This is last week's podcast with Will Chiarucci. So at this point, that's two weeks old. I, I enjoyed that podcast with Will. He's a good guy. Um, but this guy writes, just wanted to say that was the most New York podcast. episode. <laughs> and Will has a very like New York accent. So, yeah. Um, my dad grew up in Garden City, Long Island, went to New Hyde Park Memorial High School. So this guy's very New York. My uncle actually was uh, part of Garden City Fire Department during 9-11 and was one truck short from being sent over there uh, while my aunt, an EMT, was on standby. Wow. Uh, I think the secret to success in radio has partly got to be if you're from New York and have a good accent. Um, P.S. Go Yankees. Red Sox got their first win, got their win for the next 100 plus years. So uh, I like that. That's awesome. Uh, 
Here's another firearms one. I'm skipping a lot of the political ones, guys, because like I said, first hour, we got more political than we And really, my political feelings, go to that Instagram post I did. That is that is exactly my one political statement that can really blanket, I think, every question that you might have right there. Yeah. Um. All right. This is from Kevin. Hello from Kentucky. I'm 51. First handgun I ever bought uh, 30 years ago was a 45 ACP 1911. Although owning many pistols, I have kept a primarily shooting a 45 ACP, and I'm saying that right, right? ACP, yeah, yeah, just yeah, yep, yep, yep. And use a XD Mod 2 as my primary uh, CC concealed <clears throat> yep. weapon. A few years ago, when we had our first ammo shortage, I sold a 9mm and a 40 S&W and stocked on 45 S ACP, 380 ACP, and 22 long for pistols. I have at least 1,000 of each of these calibers, as well as 5.56 and 308 win. Uh, would you recommend switching from carrying a 45 ACP to a 9mm, 10mm, or 40 S&W model? Besides the ammo on a 9mm being cheaper than a 45, is the muzzle discipline better? My 45 is a double stack, so I have 13 magazine with the extended mag. I use the 380 as a backup. Wife and girls have their own 380s. Concerned about buying a new gun and ammo shortage. That's a pretty yeah no question. yeah that, no I, I I'm 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 tracking it all. I got you. Bro, when it comes down to it, go shoot the ones and see which one has a better uh, you know a, a better muzzle recoil on it. See which one you can manage. Call your your recoil management, which you, the Gucci term you want. The term that you want. If you hear it, recoil management. Can you manage that recoil? Can you get a good follow through for a second, third, fourth shot? That is you and your gun. That's up to you. And it really comes down to, yeah, the, the size of the gun. Normally, the smaller guns, they're harder to manage the recoil because the spring shorter. It's got to be tighter. So you're going to get more of a jump. Uh, and when I say jump, the reflex is going to pop more in your hand. Uh, but if you if you practice with the gun, you have good presentation with your draw stroke, a combative draw stroke where you're pressing out instead of trying to do a cast or a, a cast or a bowl when you're presenting it, the recoil is going to be just fine. Um, so it really is up to you. Um, 45s, no, I, but you, the only thing, and you, and you hit it on the head, was the, the cost for ammo. <laughs> you know, what do you want to pay for? If you're shooting and you're training a lot, of course you want to use a, a, a cheaper ammo. Um, to, and 22 is not a bad ammo to go train with. That's cheap. You can get it. Um, and handguns on 22, hey, uh, if you, the police video was done 15, I don't know, 15, 16 years ago, showing a firefight with a police officer who had a 9 mil and a perp that had a 22. They both got shot. The police officer with the, that got shot by the twenty-two died. Those things bounce around. Twenty-twos will bounce. They'll hit bone. They where a nine or something bigger will punch through. Which yeah, you do. I, I mean, I, I'm nervous. I'm gonna switch to a twenty-two. But have that knowing that if a twenty-two goes in you, it gets in. It's not if it hits a bone. It's not gonna break. It's usually gonna ricochet inside your body. <laughs> so. And so, if you, and going and training with the twenty-two with some of the nine mils that are made very well that have really minimal recoil, it's not a bad gun just to go train with. It's a great fundamentals gun. It has the rear sight, it has a front sight. So, um, I think you carry what you're comfortable with. Carry what you don't profile with, what you don't imprint with, where people are going to see it underneath whatever garment you're wearing, and train and you carry something that you can, you know, how to get out of your inside the waistband holster or whatever you're carrying quickly. Um, it really is up to you. Um, no, I, I said, I, I think 45s are great. Uh, and I think they're, they're great caliber. They're big, big, they're, you know, they're a bigger bullet than a nine. Um, so it really is your preference. If, if you're not able to shoot as accurately with that thing though, 
from, you know, let's say relatively speaking, 10 meters on in, yeah, you may want to switch to that nine. When you're getting 10 on out with a pistol, accuracy, I, I very rarely are, are in home defense situations unless you're Warren Buffett or Bill Gates that lives in billion dollar mansions. <laughs> are you going to be engaging targets any farther than 10 meters? Um, uh, so, yeah, bro, I, I, I think honestly, I think you answered your own question with your question. Great questions. It comes down now to what are you comfortable with? What do you feel comfortable in your hand? How accurate you are with whatever weapon system you are. So go try them all out. And then final factor, costs. And can you find that ammo <laughs> nowadays? Yeah. It comes down to that. So uh, I will carry 45. I have a 40. I like carrying my nine. But I, I really, be honest with you, the preference comes to how that gun feels in my hand and when I shoot it. It has nothing to do with the caliber size. It's, it's, this is what I like to shoot. This is the one I feel more comfortable with. Um, and then also, chitta, 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 little ching, how much it's going to cost to buy the bullets. So there you go. And hey, 15% off. And they are. So there you go. They are catching up with the 9 mil. So maybe you want to switch to the nine mil because they're getting the nine mil back in stock and they're able to get it shipped out now a lot quicker than they were just a few months ago. So, all right, man. Uh, this is from a, a couple, I assume, since it's two people. Uh, dear Tonto, I never thought I would ever be here at this point exchanging an email with you. <laughs> it works in mysterious ways. I'm Romanian born uh, and by the grace of God, a patriot ready to fight for my country, USA. Not so many events in my life uh, left such a big impression as Benghazi's attack and 13 hours the secret soldiers of Benghazi captured the facts better than anything else. I watched the movie with my wife not once, not twice. We watched it a lot and still do. It's uplifting. It brings tears to our eyes every time. God bless you. God bless Jack, Oz, Boone, Tig, and Peace, Roan, Gwen, Sean, and Ambassador Stevens. I have one question for you. What can we do financially to help Ron and Bob's families? The end of the movie was so powerful. Like Jack said, we get to go home. They didn't. We love you, brother. Respect, Gabrielle and Iona Penko. I, I, you know, people that have come foreign. I, I don't care political correctness. I'm so tired of this shit. Foreigners that have come from other countries and have got their citizenship. Like Andre Olosky is another one. Yeah. They are so patriotic. I they see how great this country is, and they are Americans. They don't call themselves a Romanian, you know. As I'm, a, no, I'm an American. You don't, you don't ever hear Andre Olasky say I'm Belarusian or Russian. He always, and he always corrects us, even that episode. I'm, I'm, I'm American because they know how great this country is. I, I love hearing that because they do. They, they, they understand how, how much better we are and how much great of a life we have in comparison to the rest of the world. So I, I love hearing from people that, that really do. And my grandfather's the same way coming from Mexico, an immigrant. He loved this country, yeah, you know, and, and I, that's why I have such a love for this country it's through him, him and it, my, the, the Latino family on, on that side. So, um, but anyway, um, they have uh, foundations. That's the best way to help them. You have the Glendora Memorial foundation, which helps out seals, uh, seals and seals families that are, scholarships and they do uh katie quickly runs up what's that i still have the initials are gdmf GD, i know that's and that's why they, they do it's awesome um gdmf uh katie quickly glenn's sister runs it she's tremendous very woman with a lot of integrity uh and and really really still holds and carries the name of doherty well and bub's name out there so check them out they're great the families do are doing well the families uh, at least on glenn's side 
that I know that I'm aware of, um, you know, they, they, they're doing well. They, they, they still work and they work their, they're great Americans, work their asses off, try to make the money every day like the rest of middle class America. Um, the SEAL Foundation paid, you know, thank you, CIA, you guys suck. The SEAL Foundation paid for Glenn's funeral along with, with money. that was done. Yeah. And uh, so that was taken care of. So you don't have to worry about that. The SEAL stepped in uh, and then donations to the SEAL Foundation helped with that. So you don't have to worry about that. But Glendora Memorial Foundation, I highly recommend to donate to there. And they do do a good job. And it's it's legit. Money does not going into people's pockets. It goes to scholarships. In fact, they just did give a scholarship again to a young a SEAL that passed away, her, uh, his daughter recently. And you can search for it on the GDMF page, the Glendora Memorial Foundation page. Also, And then on their own side, Cheryl Bennett, which we got to get on the show. Cheryl Bennett is Tyrone's mom. Tremendous, tremendous lady. I still call her mom. Yeah, sure. Cheryl Bennett. Well, I'll get your email. Uh, actually, she sends and she never expects anything in return from me. She's she's a wonderful woman. She's she's my second mom. Uh, she sends me a Christmas card. Cheryl, if you're listening, thank you for the Christmas card. While we were gone, we got when we were home. You're awesome. I love you, Ma. Um, Cheryl started the Tyrone Wrestling Foundation. Uh, so Tyrone Woods Wrestling Foundation, just check that out and donate to that Tyrone Woods Wrestling Foundation. Tyrone was a tremendous wrestler. I mean, we're talking we're talking Olympic caliber wrestler, collegiate caliber wrestler. And um, so what they do is they have a wrestling club there in Oregon and that foundation gives money to kids that want to wrestle, which to me, that's great. Yeah. Giving people kids that, that want to do extracurricular activities. So go to the Tyrone Woods Wrestling Foundation and, and, you know, donate what you can there. Cause it goes to really, it goes to outfitting the kids that want to wrestle and then also to the coaches to, to, to teach the kids and um, tremendous. And Cheryl is, you know, we had Pat Smith on that's yep. Cheryl's same caliber of woman, just a good, good woman um, and a good mom and someone that, 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 uh, you know, she lost her son and, 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 uh, and still has been able to be, find the positives in everything that's going on and find the positives in, in Rowan's life. And is still tremendous and stays in touch with us and probably better than I do with you. I'm sorry, Cheryl, but you, she's an amazing woman. So both those Glendora Memorial foundation, Tyrone Woods wrestling foundation, please donate to those foundations. They they're doing a good job still representing both Bob and Rowan in the communities they're in. Yeah. Let's uh, let's get her on yeah. because I, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, maybe next month or something, but yeah, those are great foundations. And I will say, I know you, I, I think you feel the same way. Mm-hmm. I hate seeing, um, you know, t-shirts with these guys' names on it, that money doesn't go to the families. Yeah. It's, it's disrespectful. That, that uh, yeah, Nine Line did that a long time ago with the Benghazi shirts. And I remember, uh, actually it was brought to my attention by Evan Hafer over there at Black Rifle Coffee. This was a long time when it first came out. I remember I did call Nine Line and I said, hey guys, you, you didn't ask us. You didn't say anything to us. You never talked to the families and they did pony up some of the sales of the shirts and donate to Glenn's foundation. Um, since then though, I don't know what's going on. So yeah, yeah. Others too, yeah. but I just, yeah. you know, I feel you're going to put Sean Smith and Glenn Doherty's name on a shirt. Yeah. The money should not go to no, you. No, no. I'm okay with that. No. You know, the battle on podcast shirt would never have those guys names. No, no. And if we do it, we donate. And I've, I've, my foundations, we've, I've donated five grand to each, uh, foundation because the 14th hour, well, of course it doesn't have their names 
but that's why we started 14th hour. That's your legacy. Yeah. Yeah. And I always, Katie and, and Cheryl, you, you guys know, you can always call me and the foundation is always ready to give more money to your foundations whenever, whenever you need it. So believe it or not, Audacious Andy sent a question. What? No, oh, yeah. Oh, thank you, Andy. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Okay. Yeah. I can shut up now. She's probably heard everything. Every, I know. She she knows my story better than I do, dude. Yeah. So, uh, Andy, uh, Ian, I'm sure a similar question has been asked, but here's mine. What is your daily routine that prepares you physically and mentally for the day ahead? And what advice would you give someone who's in a dark place that continues to struggle? Thank you, Andy. Um, so I don't think I have any uh, crazy routine, you know, but I, what I will say is this, I noticed for a while that mo like most people, I would get up in the morning and I'm checking my phone and I'm scrolling Instagram and I'm looking on Twitter and like, sure enough, something's going to piss you off. It's a terrible way to start your day. And I recognized it. You became, you become hooked on it because all of these are designed to be addictive. So, um, I, I sometimes fuck up on this. I'm not perfect, but nine times out of 10, I keep my phone in a different room. When I wake up in the morning, I go for a walk around the neighborhood. I'll look at some dogs smiling, say hi to some people, you know, and then make my bed. Who is the one who said make your bed? Was that General? Uh, for, was that General uh, McChrystal, McChrystal? I think. Yeah, I think was it McChrystal or was it was it uh, was it um, Admiral McCray? It was look, make your bed because it'll come right up. It was a famous speech. Make your bed speech. It was, um, yep, Admiral Craven. You got it. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I do that. And then I, I actually keep a notebook and I'll write a list of what I hope to accomplish that day. Um, basic things, though. I'm not saying anything crazy. You know, it'll be like get groceries, get yeah, a workout. Yeah. I don't get, uh, I don't get all of it done usually. There's usually things that I just don't, you know, get to. You have big aspirations yeah. for the day and other things happen. But, um, and a big part of that too, is I have realized, um, and there's been quotes about this. I don't remember exactly, but at the end of the day, putting your head down, accepting, okay, I didn't get done everything I wanted to, but tomorrow's a new day. I'm going to, you know, crush whatever goals that I have. Uh, but yeah, I think a big thing is, is it's a huge thing. Everybody wakes up in the morning with that phone right next to them. And it's the first thing they go to. And I say, get outside, get yeah. some nature. Yeah, you know, I'm not a morning person, so I'm not the best with getting a workout in the morning. I usually work out at night. If you are, it's probably great. Um, but at the very least, getting a walk in for a walk around the block. Uh, and I'm trying to do, even though the weather sucks right now, I'm trying to force myself to do it because I just know that I'm in a better mood and more ready for the day when I, you know, go for that walk, maybe pet some dogs, you know, people who aren't uh, ridiculous about that. <laughs> I pet their dog now. People, people are just very uptight now, I feel like, at least here. Um, but yeah, it's just better than tuning into the madness. I, I don't turn on the TV first thing in the morning. I don't first thing in the morning. Um, like I said, I do fuck up sometimes. But And even actually when I get breakfast, I still don't really watch the news. And if I do get the news, I get it from different sources. I truly don't watch very much of the whole mainstream news. It's funny. My mom yesterday was watching uh, an Israeli news station, which I didn't know that we got. And it was actually cool getting a different perspective. And it was like hard news. It wasn't It wasn't like hateful nonsense that we get. It was, you know, they were reacting to what happened in D.C. But it wasn't like we're bringing on this guy to yell about it. It was, you know, this perspective of Israelis on this. And it was a different, you know, a lot of them were saying um, that they thought Trump was great for Israel, but, you know, not good for America when 
they it, saw it's what was good going. to get you get that I, I do like that too because you're getting a really verbal and you're seeing what other country sees of us it's like yeah. it's like getting a perspective uh, from a hard perspective from somebody that you may not know that acting how even and you don't think you're acting like an asshole but then you're seeing somebody that's seen from the outside that has no skin in the game and they're saying yeah you know that, that's how i see it and, and yeah well, that's what yeah. used to watch and you've heard me <laughs> say it RT because RT is completely watch and run. I, I yeah, they, yeah, they were fun to be on when I was on them every once. But that was that was a different time, and that was a different. Oh man, I I'll never I'll never go back to that life again. That was they'll, they'll bring on anyone who's like a disgraced U.S. commentator to work for them. You know, so I mean, I've said it to you privately. I can say it on here because this is public record. Like after Scotty Hughes accused Charles Payne of sexual harassment. Yeah, with- we talked about that sort of shit. Yeah, we talked about it privately. You know, then RT brought her on. You know, these are like not good people. Um, because Charles Payne is a great guy. I, you know, I've only met him a few times, but he he is the Fox business side. Actually, I, Lou Dobbs is a super nice guy. I, lo- I could goof. Stuart Varney, I loved goofing with him. He was he was such a fun guy to goof with on set. I do miss Fox business. They, I think they do have some good people on there. Yeah, other people I met like, you know, she's not bit Fox business, but Dana Perino is awesome. I always say, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, if you guys don't know that story, like, you know, yes, Charles Payne was not faithful in his marriage. He, he did something wrong, but he did not do. What he <clears throat> yeah. Um, so I, I always have that guy's back, man, because, uh, that was, that was a horrible thing. Uh, to, I, I agree, man. I, and I want I want to add to that. You said it right. I don't. My phone stays downstairs, and I that's why I love assurance adjusting because that's what I do in the mornings. I get up and I look at files in the morning. My first first two three hours, it's not anything to do with news. Talk to this. It's, it's I'm just looking at insurance files, and I don't even look at my phone. I don't, I don't keep my phone on twenty four seven, and I know you're the same way. So I always know you're not ignoring me. You'll eventually. I'll get back, back to you. <laughs> I'm not ignoring you. Yep. I think we're way too connected to this thing. Um, funny when I bought, uh, I'm probably rambling here, but when I bought uh, the Jeep that I have, they were like, oh, you know, you got to h- hook this up so that you can play music through the Bluetooth. I don't even know. I'm like a dinosaur. I really am. Um, but I, I genuinely didn't want that because I was like, what if I want to go for a ride without my phone? And they like look at you like you're crazy. <laughs> I'm, your phone. I'm like, sometimes I don't want to. Look we need to go back to flip phones, dude. Yeah, sometimes I just want to go for a ride. You know, I want to go get, I don't know, five guys and get a burger or something and not think about this. I want to keep my phone at home. And, you know, I don't know. People are like, well, what if there's an emergency? I mean, we lived many years without, without phones. phones. Yeah. I'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so. And Andy, Andy, I, I think I, I reiterate what Ian said. To, I'll, I'll, we've got. I'm going to keep it real short because I've said this to you personally. Yeah, you got to put that phone away. Just put it away. And, and you po- you do great. I love the post. She does really good posts. And she does. She's working out all the time. That's awesome. But, yeah, put it down every once in a while. And and some, and some with people, if you got people in your lives, not saying you, Andy, but if you got people in your life that you, that you need to cut out and cut them out, you, you got to. And and that's how I got finally got got my shit back together. So I had to cut. I had to cut the cancer out and, yeah. and you have to do it. And I mean, I, I guess I'll add about being in a dark place. I mean, cause I, I have been, it's not something I like uh, to relive again and again, but I have been in that same place, you know, for totally different reasons of why I didn't want to be here. Why I was like, you know, um, and I genuinely remember this. Uh, I swear to you walking through New York city, I feeling completely worthless feeling like I, was done with everything. I heard some guy, I think it was on a saxophone, 
playing, uh, and I do love the song. You guys are going to laugh. Playing You Are Not Alone by Michael Jackson. Outside That's a good of a song, dude. I love that song. And I gave him some money. And just the song to me, the message of You Are Not Alone, it actually made me go home, call my best friend. We went for a while he was living here. We went for a walk uh, at the track by our high school. And I told him a lot of personal stuff that I don't really get into. And a lot of the times, the personal stuff, you feel like I can't tell anyone this. And there are people you could tell. And if someone is your friend, they're never going to use that against you. And, and chances are, they're going to say, I sort of went through something similar. And you're going to hear something they went through that, they never revealed to you because we all keep a lot of stuff private. And from there, it was just a path of, um, you know, I did do therapy for about a year, not even. And uh, I, I went to a good guy. I think I said this on the show because the fact that he he wanted me to get evaluated for what I had. And what I had was just, you know, regular depression. And But the guy that evaluated me, I was very nervous about because I'm, you know, not into getting on meds. I don't want to take anything. And I thought, oh, they're going to put me on something. And the guy said, you know, if you want me to prescribe you something, I can. But you seem like between going to the gym and other things you do, you you have kind of a system here. So I'm not going to tell you you need to be on something. And I was like, great. And the guy I went to was definitely an honorable guy because after, I don't know what it was, nine months to a year, he actually said to me, because I noticed the conversations during our sessions were going more from like depression to me almost interviewed him. Like, what's it like being a therapist? <laughs> like, I was out of that funk at a certain point. And he said to me, he was like, I think you're good, man. Like, I don't think you really need to come see me anymore. And, you know, he's losing money by saying yeah. that. But I, 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 that was honest. That's a good therapy. Yeah, that's a good therapy. Yeah. And he's like, hey, you have my number. If at any time you're going through anything, feel free to call me. But you seem to be doing good. I'm not going to tell you you need to see me every week or every other week. And I, I honestly haven't since. And and Andy, so, Andy knows that she's being she's doing great things. She's motivating people by just what she does in her posts and things. And and, oh yeah. and just and working and out. She's she's killing. So, Andy, you're doing great things. If you're in a dark place, you know. No, which I don't know. If she I don't know if she is or not. But if if you are, don't be. You're 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 motivating. You're a person that that people are watching. Going, man, she can do it. I can do it. And that's a motivating thing. That's how you want to be. So, um, but if you and again, you're right. If you if you're not completely scratched, what I just said, but you're except for you are doing great things. And from my perspective of seeing you from when this first started, when you when I first started and watching, because I I've known shit as four years now, I think, you know, just you're, you're, you're look to me like you're in a much better place than you were four years ago. So I hope, I hope that helps if you're in a bad place to know that you're doing great things. So keep it up, just keep grinding and keep, keep doing it. And now Ian, Ian, well said, man. That was, that was good. Yeah, I agree. Thank you. Um, all right. So this is Larry, Chris, of all the places you did security, what was your favorite place and least favorite place and why? Thanks brother. Larry Kinzer. Larry, Larry Kinzer. Oh, Larry, Larry. I think I know Larry. Yeah, Larry. Of course I know Larry. Larry, what's up, guitar man? Larry. Hi, man. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, my most fun place. I love Kandahar. I will say that all the time. I loved it. I love the, the 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 atmosphere. I love the city. I love the volatility, but also love the people there. I love the job. I love that we always worked at night, which was awesome. I love that the base was huge, so I could go run and I could go run. And it was it, one thing I, I can't stand is so old. I mean, you would go run up mountains and it'd be like running up glass because the rocks had just like fossilized. I remember running up a mountain and I go jogging on the base. We had a huge base there. I go jogging up the base and I remember I felt like I was running on shards of glass. I mean, it really was like, holy shit, I hope I don't fall. But it, that's how old 
that country is and how much it's been through. I can imagine all the fights that were going on through those mountainsides and just the ghosts that are still there from the wars that have gone on for years. It, it, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I, Kandahar was awesome. Afghanistan in itself was my favorite place. And I think people can tell that from the posts I make on throwback days. I love Afghanistan. I love the beauty of it. I can even, I just can't imagine. And I wish they would go back to this in the sixties when there was a King there and he was a good King from what I understand from, from the majority of people in that place prospered. Cause I remember they're going down a lot of the streets in Kabul and even in Kandahar and Herat and, and they were, you know, they were all tore up then, but you can still see if they still had the rose gardens and the things like that on the streets, how beautiful that country is and was at that time. And uh, yeah, I love it. My well, least favorite place. Um, probably. I, I, I don't know if I, I don't have any least favorite place. I loved all the places. I, wow, I, re- I really don't. I mean, I, 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 as far as just maybe just There's never, I always feel like you do hear from contractors and guys say, well, man, that place was a shithole. I, all the I, time. I, did, I didn't, I thought they all had something to them. Every place had something that, that you just don't see over here that, you know, Baghdad had its, had its bad moments, but it was a, it was an awesome city because of the chaos, because of, and the, the infrastructure and the architecture and the, just the history. I mean, Israel's right. It's same thing. Israel's right. How much history and just how they, how the architecture, the things they've built, the moss. I'm not as, no, I'm not Muslim, but gosh, dang, so the moss or some of them are just gorgeous. And I've posted a few pics, the two-story mosque in Kabul, beautiful building. I don't, I don't care if it's Muslim or not. It's gorgeous. The architecture just, and, and the history. So I, I guess, you know, I, I, the, the least favorite place I, I worked probably when I was just doing security in Doha, just because it was more commercialized. You know, Doha is like Las Vegas of the Middle East. I, not because it was a terrible place, terrible people, but it was like working in the States and it was more, yeah, there was more, it was, it's the sin city of the Middle East. So I guess that would be the place. But even then it's still cool because it's the sin city of the Middle East. So it's got the nightclubs and, and Pearl city and, 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 you know, and just the you know stuff that you'd find in the States. So I think I'd probably the least favorite just because, it's a place I could work in the States, but I was overseas and I was doing private security. Actually, I think I, I, I protected Rob Lowe there for a couple of days when he oh, came in through a, for a movie. For a movie set. So if he ever wants to come on, he don't remember. I, and I didn't talk to him all, but I was just his, his little bodyguard when he came to the Tribeca film festival. Uh, when, I remember I tried emailing him and they were, they were busy at the time. Maybe you I, 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 from, I, he's very, very good supporter of the, of the military and he's a huge veteran supporter and, he did tweet something about 13 hours being, and I loved it. I loved it. And uh, all the crazy idiots on the left, I ah, all the Hollywood 13 hours. No, 13 hours happened guys. Sorry. It happened. And it's okay to like the movie and it's very well done. Michael Bay movie. And yeah, it's, and it, I'll tell you right now, the timeline, the timeline, what our views were, everything that took place there was, was very, very accurate. The only thing that's hard to recreate is the actual firefights and explosions. Because really, it's more implosions than you think exploding. It's just bright lights, flashes, filth, concussion. Um, but all movies, you have to do it because you, you can't simulate an actual explosion in a firefight from a 203 at close range without killing somebody. <laughs> so you have to do it that way. But the chaos was completely accurate and the, and the feelings that we had. But we got subject there. Sorry about that. No, it's fine. So Chris and I have to hop on a call in, in 10 minutes. Have we got the so- nine, though? We've got close, aren't we? We, I I, don't, I haven't even counted them all. We'll, we'll get to uh, we'll get to two quick ones. Dude, though. that's nice. Okay, yeah, yeah. 
one of these won't get a prize, unfortunately. But you know, we will next time. We're, this isn't the last time that we'll do these. Um, so we'll do two quick ones. One of these is definitely quick. And then, yeah, Chris and I will hop on a call. And then we, uh, I have the Gary Brugman interview that I'll end the show with. So uh, I have a feeling this is an inside joke that I don't know. Ah, right, here we go. Chris, who is your favorite BW bro- brother? Rob Jabber or Jaber? Uh, Joe Espino or Jerry Hooks? No you sons of bitches. Uh, <laughs> Hope all is well, brother. Just throwing a laugh your way. Hooks. Um, th- You all suck. Every one of you. I hate all your faces. <laughs> they all are awesome. We all were on the same teams. Those are three guys I still am very tied with. I mentioned Joe Espino earlier when we were talking to I loved all those guys. All those guys were tremendous. I'd go to hell and back with them. I wrote about Rob Jabber in the Patriots Creed. Rob Rob was ground zero when one of the biggest car bombs in Baghdad went off. He actually saw the concussion, the actual, and it, he said it looked just like you see when an atomic bomb goes off. He saw the sound wave go by, didn't feel anything until he saw it go back out. And he was ground zero. I mean, it was crazy. I, I can't believe he didn't die. Um, Rob's awesome. And we're going to get Rob on the show. Talk about it. Cause Rob is tremendous and he's one of my best friends. So is Joe. So is Jerry. Jerry, Jerry was a QRF team that helped us get out of many situations. And another guy that's a tremendous, tremendous guy. And he's the one that actually was in charge. I, I post that picture of me going and helping get that girl from Fallujah, that little baby girl out of Fallujah. Yep. Jerry was in charge of that program. He's the one that actually recommended and contacted me to do that. So Obviously, Jerry, if that one, because Jerry knew my capabilities and he was the one that was in charge of me during that. And that just shows that Jerry and I also he trusted my abilities to do it on my own because we'd worked so long. Together. Love all those guys. But you all suck. My favorite, <laughs> my, my favorite guy there is Lucas Harvey. How about that? How about that? You sons of bitch. No, they, they, they all are. I love them all to death, man. And like I said I'd go through any any door with them through Hell's Gates and we we'd come out win we come out victorious and i've been through hell's gates with all of them at least once joe and rob probably two or three times jerry jerry's been protecting my six while we're going through hell's gates a lot of time and badass motherfuckers all of them all of them are great guys all right this is the final one guys uh but we'll do more next time Chris, how are you, brother? I saw the LinkedIn call to action and wanted to submit a question. After experiencing the global pandemic in 2020, albeit we are still bogged down, what are the top three, five, however many you want to cover, readiness tips for Americans to become more self-sufficient? Is it supplies, (laughs) hardening, training, other things? I hope you get to answer this on the podcast. That's from Blaine okay. Hoffman. Blaine, um, uh, being being ready, you know, having I said that's why I said I don't make fun of preppers. I, I really don't. I think that's smart to do. Is if you have have some self shelf stable goods ready to go. Um, I'm not saying you need to go crazy and build yourself a bunker down in your bed. Which if you do, that's fine, guys. You're more prepared than I am. But it's it's is smart to have some shelf stable stuff ready to go. So if something does run out, or we have, or there is curfews that go on, which what are going on. You, you have enough that you can get through whatever you need to go for for a week's time. You know, having that, having bread in the freezer, having a freezer full of meat, if you can get some, you know, um, I'm not saying to go buy everything in the store because you still got to, there's other people that need this stuff, but putting a little bit aside, you know, the, 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 I had the same grandma and we all had those grandmas that you go in their basement and they've, 
they've have just loads of shit that they've collected over the years. It's the same thing. Or I'd say for, for some people in the audience who are hunters, you know, they have like a whole yeah. bison store freezer. And, and, and I do, and I, you know, I buy I buy half a calf or half a cow when I can, and it's in the freezer. It's it's smart to have. It's not dumb. It's and you're not prepping for anything. You're just to have that so you, that 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 you have that peace of mind. Um, but me and Ian have talked about it before, and we've both done done it during these time frames, making your bettering yourself, building your resume. If you haven't gone to college, start working on a degree. You do it online. Start taking other jobs or or doing things that you didn't have time for before, like in with you and the the different podcasts you're doing now. Or like I know a lot of guys have started podcasts uh, that that have stories or writing that book that you didn't want to do and you finally are getting to. Or, or you, know what, you know what's the best? I will say that neither of us did, as far as I know. Anyone who invested in Bitcoin, <laughs> Bitcoin. but but you, you know, um, you know, putting money, putting a little money away, of course, saving it. But the thing is, just finding ways to better yourself. So when you have more options, you know, that's why I went back to to getting my insurance adjusting license. So you know, if everything went to shit, well, guess what? I have another skill. So improving your skill sets, making yourself more marketable because uh, you got time to do it and you can be home and you can do everything damn near from your computer anymore. Um, working out, getting in shape. Oh, my gosh. Physical activity, getting your body in shape does does wonders for your mind. You have time right now to do it, to get workouts in. You can break away and do that. That is essential. Uh, training. I'm not telling you, you need to train for World War Three, but I, I think taking courses, if you're going to carry don't just get to get the license to carry. You got to learn how to use the gun, but getting with an instructor that's also going to work with your mindset. That's saying, hey, you're not invincible if you wear body armor. That's not how it works. But if you need to get some, here's what you need to do. Here's the best ones for you. Here's how to utilize it. Here's your gun. Just because you have a gun doesn't mean you're, you doesn't mean you can't get shot or it doesn't make you invincible either. Here's how you use it. And you only need to use it in this situation here. This is why. This is not something that's going to make you the badass of the block. In fact, you never want to use it. But if you're going to use it, this is what needs to happen. This is how you use it. This is how you're safe with it. And this is the mindset you need to have. The mindset always goes there and it goes along with spirituality as well. Pick, picking up your Bible every once, reading a passage. I've done that more now. And as you can tell, you can see from some of the posts I do, it's it's weird. You just open it up. That's what I need to read for the day. It's the weirdest thing happened. Just grabbing a Bible or some easy read prayer book and putting it on your on your desk and in the morning getting up. Nine times out of ten, it's what I needed to hear when I read it. So getting back into your spirituality and Christianity. Um, Ian, you got anything, man? Because I, I know we talk about this a lot on our show. I th- I think that covered all of it. And plus, I'm not going to lie, we have to hop on a oh, call yeah, no, anyway. Call. So, so. Our, our guy waiting. Um, so this isn't the end of the show. I'm going to insert an interview with Gary Brugman that I'm going to do tomorrow but um so so keep listening guys god bless but you hope man. you enjoyed it yeah we literally we laughed we cried yeah. literally. <laughs> literally literally and we covered it all man i uh, stay positive i know it's very hard to stay positive during these guys moments. yeah just i'm telling you god's there god is king not politicians not not political figures not media not public figures none of we're all fallible you got to start bringing God back in your lives again. Politicians, this is specifically for you. And I'm not telling you to do it as lip service. The amen, a woman thing. I saw that. What the hell? I mean, really? <laughs> but pander, don't pander in, in to the Christian folks. They know. But find God again. Find whether in whatever religion you are, that higher power is there. It is. And and I, I, I know it. 
I don't believe it. I know it. And we have to come back that that has to be the first and foremost in our lives. Again, whatever religion you are, that higher power as a good Christian, I'm going to tell you, just believe in that. I believe in God. Ian believes in God. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, and, and, but if you don't, it doesn't matter that higher power, Allah, the tree, God, whatever it's there. And you got to bring that back in your lives again and put these politicians back to where they need to be. And that's just being politicians, not messiahs is what you and i said so i know got a call sorry just wanted you guys are awesome stay positive guys you can do it you can do it so as promised uh you know for the listeners we we just had a whole lot of stuff to talk about with chris and, and it was it was a great show um but as promised i wanted to get gary brugman on there's no need to really get into the whole story because people could go back to episode 11 and listen right. to everything that went down start to finish. Um, for one, I've said it to you before we start recording, but congrats, man. This is huge. It's I, huge, bro. It, it really is. So I'll go back to basically when we started the podcast, you messaged me a few times because you knew Chris, you knew mm-hmm. Jeremy and all the guys over there and, and wanted to come on. And I'm going to be completely honest. I always feel like there's, um, there's, of course, a lot of people out there who are in jail, some of them rightfully, some of them right. not, some of them service members, some of them border patrol agents. And because I didn't really know the story, I I was, you know, I really try to keep my bias aside until I actually hear what went down. And I didn't hear the full story until I actually saw you in studio and met you and, you know, we connected on right. our love of uh, 80s hard rock and, exactly. metal and all that. And, but then actually hearing the story, I realized what a travesty of justice it was. So, I mean, for one, did you ever think it was really going to happen? I know you were comp- campaigning super hard, especially these past four years with Trump in office, because you felt like this was your only chance for it, it to happen. It was. Um, but did it feel like it was going to happen? And not just you, Ramos and Compi on those guys as well. Um, I knew for a fact that if he actually read the story, if he got it in front of him and, and just actually took a look at it, that he would pardon me. I knew that right off the bat. The question, the the trouble was getting it in front of him. That was that was because the pardon uh, office is behind like almost thirty thousand pardons, and they deny everything. You know, they don't they don't they don't push any pardons for some reason. They just don't, and they're behind almost thirty thousand. I didn't want to become that statistic. I wanted I wanted to get my case in front of them. So I was I've been making noise for quite a few years now, man. Everywhere I can, talking to whoever I can, and I've got people all over the country that have been printing out my pardon packages and going to Trump rallies and trying to give them to anybody. I'll take them on the other side of the fence. So here's the thing. When it first happened, I'll actually tell you this. This is really crazy. I thought Um, there was one day where Trump kind of went crazy with the pardons, right? It was a ton of different pardons. And I saw Ramos and Compion, which was awesome because we know Bush was weak on Border Patrol, mm-hmm. and that's why he only commuted their sentences. He never pardoned them, and those guys absolutely should have been pardoned. Um, so when I saw that that day happened, I remember um, thinking to myself that that very day, I remember that Tony Tata, who works in the Trump administration, mm-hmm. who I know, who's a great guy, I was like, if he's pardoning all these people, let me just shoot him a text and see if he even knows about the Gary Brugman thing, because maybe... Maybe this is the last chance. That's it. And I said, before I text uh, General Tata, though, let me Google Gary Brugman just on the crazy chance that this actually happened. And I Googled it and I saw the White House press release and I was like, oh, my God, this actually happened. And then 
reading the press release, there were some really big names who were behind you, whether it was like Laura Ingram or Sarah right. Carter. Uh, Lee Dodd. Yeah. Who, who do you think made the difference? Who do you think got it in front of him? All of them. All of them. Um, the congressman had written a letter a couple of years ago in favor of me, Ramos and Compeon, urging him to pardon us. So all the congressmen, you know, were already in on it. Um, I know, I know Laura had a big push in it. Uh, Sarah Carter wrote articles and he reads Sarah Carter's articles and, and listens to it. And I've been on her podcast. Um, we, I had some, uh, some friends of mine that worked for secret service. They've, they've been trying to push. I mean, it was just a group effort. I don't think it was any one person. I just think he saw my name come across his desk so many times. It was like, all right, I need to see this. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, it, it, I had a big push, a big push. And, and like you said, over the past four years, Ian, it's been crazy because I've, I've exhausted ways of trying to get the man's attention. You know? No, I know. And and I felt bad that I couldn't even do anymore. I remember I tried to get you on other shows. I just wasn't hearing back from people. And also it's because of how crazy, no matter how people look at it, how crazy these past few years have been and how every week there's a new issue, exactly. new outrage over something. And especially like the people I know in talk radio, they're like, well, we're too busy with this right now. We're not going to get to this. And, right. Because um, so I'm old I, news. It's not new news. I'm exactly old news, if anything. You know, I'm not even breaking news. I'm. This is 20 years ago. So I, I didn't really get your, um, you know, did you, because you said if it got in front of him, you thought he would actually do the right thing. Right. Did you think it was going to, I mean, these were the last few days. Were you losing hope? I couldn't, no, I wasn't losing hope. I got scared because, you know, the way the election went and my time frame got cut down from four, you know, from four plus years to 78 days. So now I was like, oh, now what do I do, you know? And, and I got a little scared, but I didn't lose hope. I said, I got to make this happen now. I got to make it happen. And like I said, I just pushed out on a podcast and, and wrote letters and made contacts and everything I could. I mean, I just make literally big push. That's all, the only way I can send it. Yeah. So um, I was also wondering, because I, you know, I have no idea what happens when you get a pardon. And I guess you probably didn't until now. Does the president call you? Do you like what? Ha- how does it go down? Well, I got a call from the from the White House, uh, from from a White House staff member, and um, and and a, a, I had a co- point of contact. So my point of contact gets a hold of me, and he says, "Hey, there's something. Some questions came up on your background for your pardon that we need to clear up. Are you available for a phone call? We got to clear this up with the White House." I'm like, uh, "Yeah, what? You know, I was driving to Fort Worth. I had like an hour and a half left, and what did I do wrong?" And he says. Can't talk about it now. Be ready for a phone call. I was like, damn it. What do I do? What did I do? I'm thinking, man, could could it be a speeding ticket? And I'm thinking of what I could have done wrong. So about an hour later, he he FaceTimes me and says that he's got the White House on the phone. His wife's got the uh, White House on the phone. And it's the staff member. And she says, Merry Christmas. I said, Merry Christmas. What did I do wrong? She goes, well, it's pretty serious. I just wanted to congratulate you on a full and unconditional pardon that the president just signed for you about an hour and a half ago. And I was like, it took me a second. I was like, what are you sitting? And I just started crying. I cried so hard that my mom thought somebody died. Wow. You know, but yeah, but, and then she, she read me the press release and in, I, I, I'll own up to it. I was bawling like a baby had had, face, face in my hands and straight up bawling. I couldn't stop. 
I mean, it's understandable. This is yeah. what you've been fighting for. Twenty and years trying bro. to get your name cleared. So did you did you end up speaking to the president at some I did, point? I did not. I was in the I was in DC this week. I got invited to the White House. Um, Which I saw pictures. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I hadn't been there since I was a kid because I went on a school trip when I was a kid, but um I was supposed to meet the president. It wasn't guaranteed because of everything going on, but I was in the White House while he was giving that speech and we were waiting for him to come you know, uh, back to the White House. And then that Capitol Hill breach happened. They put him in the situation room and it didn't happen. But I got to tour the White House, spent about three, three and a half hours in the White House touring it. I wow. Mean, it was great. Saw the situation room. They, they cooked me a burger. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I went down and saw the uh, na- uh, the Navy mess downstairs. I mean, it was it was great. I mean, it was a great experience. Yeah, um, it, it's such a comparison, too, because this week has been nuts. And then for you, I mean, this was a positive note. And then all this, you know, stuff right. happens. But so what's what's your oh, you know what? Actually, before I even ask what's your plan from here, the one thing I did notice, and I'm sure other people noticed, um, unless I unless I'm off on this, I just noticed that around the time you got pardoned, the podcast went down completely. What What's um, during the whole little background investigation? Um, it was recommended that I take it down because I may have said, you know, FBM or kick Antifa's ass or something like that. So yeah. apparently my name had been being tossed around the White House and they didn't want anybody coming up and finding anything like that. So totally understand that. because right. I feel like, they, you know, these groups like Media Matters or whatever, they could find one little clip of you saying mm-hmm. something out of context. And they're like, this is who the president pardoned. And I already see the articles on what you did, and it's taken completely out of context. Right. And you could tell they didn't do their research. They didn't listen to your full story. Mm-hmm. They're just, you know, Trump freeze guy who kicked, uh, you know, someone fleeing the border. And that's right. it. That's the story. Yeah. And, and a lot of those articles, they they they're using the uh, the DOJ press release from when I got convicted, which was, you know, a, a pack of lies. It's, it's what the U.S. Uh, attorney wanted to say, because none of that happened. You know, none, none of that happened. And we went to a trial and I said, I even told him, I said, I don't know what comic book you've been reading. That didn't happen that way. You know, so but they take the, uh, the government's press release from back then and they basically just copy it. Of course, you know? because yeah. they already know they're going to spin it in a negative way. And, and you know. I, you know, if you listen to my podcast, I've always, I've always pushed it. Uh, my, my, well, I'm not going to say my innocence. I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say that I did what they charged me with. I did push the guy on the ground, but what my claim was, it wasn't a crime because you taught me to do that. That's what, that's been my whole fight. I never denied what I did. I knocked the guy on his ass. I never denied it. So, but they saying that I beat him and punched him and the illegal alien. If you go back and read the trial testimony, the actual testimony, he says he never hit me. <laughs> I never punched him. So, I mean, they can say what they want. I got a pardon. You know, I'm, I'm a free man. You know, I've been thinking about changing my last name to Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's what I'm wondering. What are, what are the plans from here? Because I do occasionally check out what you do on the podcast. And, you know, I know at one point you were saying you were even thinking of running for office or something. I mean, what what's what's your point? Is the podcast coming back? And, and also, what are you doing? Because I know that the reason this pardon was so important is because it kept you from job opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I've got a, it's, it's weird because the, the pardon came during the holidays. So I haven't been able to get many answers on anything because everything's been closed until like last week. And then last week I was in DC. So since the pardon, my schedule has just been running, 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 but uh, I'm enrolling myself in the uh, San Antonio college in the police Academy. I'm trying to see if I can make 
the class that starts at the end of the month. Um, I'm going to get my police officer's license and I'm still working on how everything works because I got a, I got a, uh, I got a letter from the pardon attorney. They sent it to uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jeffrey Atticat, my attorney. So he's got all the hard copies. So I'm going to meet with him this weekend and actually get those and try to figure out what I do from here. How do I go about clearing my DOJ record? Can I go get a, a, a license to carry? You know, because it says it right there that I can. All my all my firearms disabilities have been removed. You know, so it's just a matter of uh, getting it done. Because I'm going to make everybody proud. I will. I will be. A, I will be a law enforcement officer again, even if it's in a reserve capacity. You know, but I will be. Were you able to own a gun uh, or or not at all? Okay. So that, that's got to be – so did you just go out and buy a gun? Like, I don't right know. I, I don't know how you know, it works. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but yeah. yes. I mean, I would think you should be able to. Why not? Yeah. I, I mean, carry might be different, but I would think to just own a firearm. I don't see why not. You're a I citizen. Mean, I, you're... I got everything restored, so I should be able to get a license to carry. You know, I mean, they, they removed all my firearms disabilities. That's exactly how it reads. And I uh, restored all my civil rights. I can vote again. Nice. I can vote. That's that's a real big one. That that's bothered me for the past twenty years. I, everything that happens in our country, you know, from from Bush to Obama to every, I haven't been able to vote. I have to sit there and like ride the wave because I can't vote even now in this election. You know, wish you would have pardoned me a little bit earlier. I would have voted for the man. You know? <laughs> So, but, and and I'm wondering also if you go into law enforcement, do you think that's going to affect the podcast and all that? Because there's always that kind of line between, you know, if you're out there serving and then also you doing a podcast with your own private opinions and that type of thing and your own biases, because you do get political. Right, right. But, you know, I, if, it, if it does, I'll just have to change the theme of the podcast. I'm going to keep the podcast. You know, I'm going to keep it going. I got a lot of people listening to it. And uh, I just ran into a Capitol Police officer. Uh, that was working in the Library of Congress. He was a listener. He gave me a coin. And uh, he, he's a listener. And he'd been listening since the very beginning. I was like amazed. I, I told him the old uh, wash your tank thing, you know, and he started laughing. He goes, wow, that sounds so awesome in person. <laughs> but man, I, uh, I don't know which, ways, which way it's going. I'm going to bring the podcast back just to uh, let everybody know that everything's been golden and, um, and keep it going. But you know, I mean, I mean, I get that political after all. I might bring on some more veterans and talk about that. Or, you know, I might just might just talk about ballistics. <laughs> and I'm going to start learning here again. You know? Yeah, no, because I just can, with my own uh, history, see it being a conflict of interest. Like when I ran, well, not ran, when I uh, was over at Sirius XM Patriot, Tom Basili had a show. And then he ran for some city council thing. I don't even remember exactly what the office was, but he had to leave his show, you know, right. a conflict of interests, because then you could start bringing on people that, you know, could do political favors for you Correct. and that type of thing. So I just, it, it's just the same way how a lot of active duty guys, they won't go on certain shows because they're like, I, I can't get I can't, political. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, but I don't know. I'm not there yet, but I'll figure it out. Hey, I might just turn it over to you. You can take it over. <laughs> <laughs> so, but then did you'd have you, to deal. Then you'd have to deal with TJ. <laughs> yeah. So did you? How does it work? Did you just deactivate it? Are those episodes still there? You didn't. De you didn't delete it outright, right? Um. Uh, no, I actually had to delete everything. I still have all the episodes. I'm going to upload them all again. Okay. But yeah. I, there, there's no way to just like disable it, man. They'd, like take it down for a while or suspend it. There's no way. I had to take it all down. Which sucks because it means you lost subscribers. Just mm -hmm. the, the way of, everything of the game. I mean, because especially there's a ton of people right now deactivating Instagram, deactivating Twitter, and they're subscribed, 
but they're they might not know that you're back. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But I mean, and you what, built that thing up. I mean, you probably, I assume, had thousands of people. With yeah, I had, had, had a few thousand people, and 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 everybody keeps hitting me. When's the podcast coming back? Hey, what happened to the podcast? I was uh my friends over at Warfighter Tobacco. They do the the Freedom Friends podcast, and I go out there on Monday nights and and hang out, smoke a few cigars with them. And they 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 do a, a Facebook live uh, while they're doing a podcast. And while they were there, somebody was like, hey, has anybody heard from Gary Brugman? His podcast is gone and, you know, we don't know where he is. And and they were like, wow, look at that. He happens to be right here. <laughs> you know, so I actually went on the <laughs> podcast and they were actually, it was a buddy check is what they were doing. So how you doing, buddy? So, yeah, so they were checking on me, you know, on on, a, on somebody else's podcast because they, they found a Freedom Friends podcast through mine. So that's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, is, is there anything cool. else? Go ahead. Sorry, what were you saying? I no, said, I, and it was growing, bro. It was really, really growing. But, you know, I mean, the whole purpose that I started the podcast was to get a pardon, to, re- to reach out to the president, you know, and then it became like therapy for me. And you, you know how it is, man. You can't stay away from the microphone, man. You know, you can't stay away from the microphone. That truly is, though, mission accomplished. Do you yes. think do you think the podcast also played a role th- in you getting a pardon? I think it did, because a lot of people that listened to it were out there. And like I said, printing out stuff, tweeting, calling, emailing. And, and you know, from what I understand, my name went across his desk so many different times. You know, I'd be interested in knowing, though, like, what was the last straw? Who what was the last time that he saw it and said, all right, this, you know, do something? This is. Yeah, I know. I, 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 I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I don't know. I, I was yeah. going to ask him. I was going to ask him, but I didn't get to meet him. So why? Uh, him such a hard salute, man, when he walked out. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, is there anything else we haven't covered? Because as, as I said, for the audience, you know, we went along with Chris anyway. So uh, I was going to keep this kind of short. But is there is there anything else that you think we haven't covered? I mean, your studio there looks awesome. It would be a waste not to use that thing. I want to have something that looks like that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Texas. <laughs> yeah yeah i i probably will move out of new york because this is getting you gotta crazy. go man yeah you know you know tj me and tj we call each other new york refugees yeah <laughs> no, i'll but, probably join join you know it'll probably be florida or something but there's there's a ton of reasons to get out of here right oh yeah really there's every reason to get out of new york man but um not nah, ian um again i just can't i, I can't thank you enough chris all the listeners that from battle line podcast Everybody from my podcast, the Warrior Defense Project, that was my that took my case on pro bono. Uh, Sarah Carter, Bernard Carrick. I mean, there's so many people. Everybody out there that tweeted, that wrote, that emailed, that made phone calls, that's 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 emailed me and and sent me messages when when I've been ready to just like call it quits. You know, it's been 20 years. Actually, the 14th of this month, today's the ninth. In five days, will be 20 years that I pushed this guy on the ground. You know. And I've been going through this for a long time, and I didn't realize until I got that pardon how many people I actually knew. Because my phone, I got over, I got over a thousand phone calls, bro. Over a thousand, and, and the messages just wouldn't stop. I mean, I'm still answering messages from Christmas Eve, from from when I got the pardon, you know, that that's I haven't awesome. gotten back to, and and just the love that that everybody sh- that's shown me over the past twenty years, you know, and it, it's just an amazing feeling. And I got the pardon. I was a little overwhelmed. I got it there Eve before. Uh, Christmas Eve Eve, right? So I was up in Fort Worth. It was a Wednesday. Christmas Eve was Thursday. Christmas Day was Friday. I had to come back down because I was going to have my little stepdaughter for Christmas. So I, I was driving, had my mom. It was early in the morning. I burned out, out of Fort Worth around 7 a.m. Sun was coming up. 
And about 10, 15 minutes down the road, Ian, I'm driving, and it hit me. And I was like, I felt like a completely different person. The sky was bluer. The, the air is cleaner. And, for, and I was happy. For the first time, I was happy. So fast forward to last Sunday, I got out of the church, and I went to, I just felt like taking a drive, and I went to Bernie, Texas, to Black Rifle Coffee to get a cup of coffee. Black Rifle Coffee. <laughs> to get a cup of coffee and they have i had a warfighter uh, tobacco cigar and i sat outside it was about 63 degrees i'm a cowboy hat on and i just sat there drinking coffee smoking a cigar watching the car and the people go by and for the first time it, it it dawned on me that for the first time in 20 years i was enjoying a beautiful day because i hadn't enjoyed a beautiful like really soaked it in and enjoyed a beautiful day in so long man and um and I haven't, I haven't had the smile off my face ever since, <laughs> you know, it's been, it's been two weeks, two and a half weeks. And every day has been, has been great with possibilities and opportunities. I mean, I, I've even been getting up and working out, bro, which is something that I haven't done in years. Cause I, I didn't have the, I didn't have the, the motivation. I'm, I was like, screw this. I'm trying to do everything I can, but you know, I had that accident and I couldn't get out of bed for a long time. And I, then I didn't oh, want yeah. to. And then I didn't want to. So, but now I'm just so, so full of energy, and it's amazing how just one little signature can change your life. You that's know? that's that's an awesome, yeah. That, it's great for people to hear, especially because I think a lot of people do feel down right now with the state of the country, and it's great to hear that positivity. And you know, I should ask also, what did your son think? Because your son's been with you in this whole fight, and, mm-hmm. and hearing you every day, and, and trying to get this pardon. He's he's ecstatic. He and I, I didn't tell him till a couple of hours afterwards because my phone was blowing up. And then he texted me. He's like, "Did you get a pardon?" And I was like, <laughs> "Because his bo- he talks to his bosses. He, he he works up in New York and at Trader Joe's in, in Long Island. And his bosses follow what's going on because they're conservative. And they told him he was working. And they told him. And he texted me. Goes, "Did you get a pardon?" My bosses said you got a pardon. <laughs> you know, yeah. So he, he's, he's he's like, thanks, Dad. I hear it from like people at Trader Joe's. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, he's moving back to Texas at the end of this month. So nice. He's getting a transfer. He's got an apartment in Austin. We found him an apartment, and uh, I can't wait till he comes back. He's he's done with New York too. So uh, yeah, a lot of us are. <laughs> yeah, dude, dude, this this has been great. It's awesome to hear. I really feel like this is just an awesome conclusion to. A really troubling story, and yeah. and, for, and like I said, I came into it with no bias. I, I really do. I know there's a lot of people when they hear a story, when they hear someone in the military is asking for a pardon or border patrol, they're automatically on that side. I'm going to be honest, I'm not. I like to hear the story first. I like to put my bias aside. And after hearing the story, absolutely well deserved, man. So, Thanks. where can people follow you uh, right now? Because you were off stuff, and now you're back on stuff. Right. Well. Uh, my, my uh, Instagram is still uh, at Gary Brugman and um, the podcast will be coming back. I'll make a big announcement and, you know, I'll, I'll blow it up when it comes back. I was thinking about this week and starting it like on the 20th anniversary of, of when the thing happened. Um, wow. But I got I got so much going on and I don't want to mess it up. So it'll probably be within the next week or two. It'll come back and I'm going to start uploading all the stuff back. But I'll make a big announcement for for when it does happen, bro. And I just, again, one big person that I need to thank, and of course, I need to thank my Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. But uh, I also need to thank President Trump for putting his pen to the paper and actually, you know, walking the walk instead of just talking to talk and, and giving me that part. And thank you, President Trump. I can't. You've changed my life, you know, because I know he listens well, to your podcast, too. He does. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I highly doubt it. <laughs> 
but uh yeah man no th- this has been awesome this is how we're ending the show so uh for the listeners out there go follow gary and uh leave us a review on apple podcasts and uh if you want to pick up a shirt we have link in the description to pick up a shirt go check out the battle line tactical courses at chris if they're in texas you might even see gary there yeah I'm usually always there That's all for this episode of the Battle Line Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battle Line Podcast and on Twitter at Battle Line Pod. To sign up for future Battle Line tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself. Face all challenges head on. And as always, never quit. <laughs>